Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shannis Perkle, and I'm here to tell you about how in 15 minutes, before I'm even done doing my intro, communism will take over the world and all your babies will be killed. Will you come? Will you come? <laughs> will you come? Uh, oh, man, Estes Perkle, what a, what a guy, what a... What a thing, uh, fascinating, like a haunted ventriloquist dummy that just spouts the most insane theories. <laughs> and then reenacts, gets his like congregation to reenact it. Including his own son, who's one of the <laughs> actors in the film. Uh, yeah, really wild stuff. Uh, one of our four second features when we get there, but, uh... Oh, we have a lot of ground to cover today. Ah, them Ormonds. Uh, fascinating <laughs> bunch. But first up, we've got some French noir. Uh, English title, Speaking of Murder, original French title is Le Rouge et Me, uh, which, uh, literally translates... That... No, it's The Red is On. So I think it's supposed to suggest like a red light that's on to indicate that they're doing That's what I gather from the, <laughs> from the letterbox description of uh, of the movie, which not very accurate. <laughs> that's what the... No, it's not. Well, it's uh... hmm, it's accurate, but it's like talking about it suggests a plot to the movie that doesn't happen until like the last five minutes. And it's yeah. sort of, I mean, I, I guess that's sort of the weird thing about these French noirs too. They, they, they're not like a adrenaline fueled plot. There's action and there's like police getting fucking gunned down, but there's mm -hmm. not, it's not plot heavy. It's more a hanging out kind of feel. Yeah, there is a bit of a whodunit too, but even that, like, you know, there's a whodunit. You know who done it before you know what was done. Yeah, you, you kind of get what's going on most of the time. It, 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 the, the point is just you, you sit in the vibe of it and you get to know all of these people, and it's more about how they relate to each other than it is about crimes. <laughs> mm -hmm. They don't even really talk very much about the crimes they just got finished doing. Yeah, and I guess technically we wouldn't call this a noir. Uh, what you would call this is a polar or polar uh, for just the kind of icy, cold nature of it. The ending is bleak, brisk. Uh, <laughs> it, it really fucking smacks you in the face at the end. Like, oh, fuck. Yeah, uh, it's like, oh, they get to be together. Wait. That's actually that bad. That's kind of bad. Uh, so yeah, sort of an interesting vibe. A very specific French noir subgenre of the police and crime film. That's the polar. That's just yeah. It's it's polar coldness to the feel of it all. It's just very icy. Uh, and this is a fairly early entry. This is a 1957 film. Director Gilles Grangier, who I'm not really familiar with his work i don't know that i've seen much else of his uh but we have a couple major names you know uh first it's written by auguste le breton who 
was an orphan who grew up in crime circles and did a bunch of crime and was oh. in, sort of involved with all the criminal gangs of France during like the resistance era. Oh, he was, oh geez. Okay. <laughs> he was himself a resistance fighter in World War II. Uh, he wrote most famously Rafifi, which is sort of the Ur text of uh, heist films. It's it's sort of the great French noir heist film. It also stars Jean Gabin as Rafifi. I've e- even I've heard of that one. Yeah. Uh, great movie. And so Auguste Le Breton, this one's written by him as well. It's, you know, he, he brings a lot of his experience with him. Uh, also, the first AD on this movie, Jacques Deray, who kind of becomes a pretty significant filmmaker in his own right later on. Cool. So, uh, we got a couple, I guess, our, our really main noir guys in this. Jean Gabin, obviously, you know, he's Rafifi. He's, uh, I, I think there's something in, they they say something in the trailer about how he had retired playing criminals, but then this movie, like uh, this script brought him back or something. Oh, I never watched the trailer for this, actually. Darn, it, shoot, I forgot I mean, to do that. It'll give away absolutely everything. It is one of those trailers where it's like, oh. eh, I mean, you, you get all of it. But he was, uh, I think at this time, he was mainly making the Migret films, Inspector Migret, where he was uh, a police inspector, like Police Inspector Migret. And there's okay. just like a whole bunch of them. I, I could see him being a good, tough police inspector. I mean, he's just got a face that you can associate with crime. There, mm-hmm. he's, he's got a real hard-boiled acting kind of face. Uh, and as, like so does our other main guy, Lino Ventura, who plays Pepito. Oh, yeah. He he looks like a... a uh, he looks like a gangster. Yeah, he looks like he'd fucking kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what his character really wants to do. Well, he like he's he's trigger happy. He likes his gun. He likes his gun a little too much. Mm-hmm. It's starting to be a problem for everybody. <laughs> yep. So we open up with a bank robbery, but it's not. I I think it's interesting the way they do these. We they're they're very matter of fact because like we're we're deep in the heart of Paris. We're on the Champs Elysees. It's a bank robbery, but it's quiet. There's no shooting. <laughs> they're just lurking outside you know what i found interesting there's not even a sound effect when he pistol whips the guy in the wa- in the robbery no they just you know he hits him <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you just don't hear it. it it's i don't know i found it a little jarring but this is a pretty quiet film very quiet even though we have people getting machine gunned and we do Pepito pulls out his submachine gun out from under his trench coat, and he's, like, aiming it at this woman with two children. (laughs) He just really wants to shoot somebody, but everyone's complying, so he can't. It's weird. It it really feels like he is looking for an excuse, because he's, like, holding it on them for a while, and, like, nobody's obstructing him from getting in the getaway car. It's a lady and two children. He's yeah. like, huh? Are, are, are you gonna make me shoot you? Make me shoot you. And they're like, no. Yeah, they they all just like freeze and hold back. And he, he like 
Like, all right, <laughs> gets in the car. I love when they're in the car because I thought we were going to open with a car chase right away, but he's just driving. We're just four dudes chilling, driving through Paris traffic. Yeah, I mean, Louis Gabin's character, he really, it establishes how cool he is. He's very calm and cool. He is totally unruffled. Uh, they are driving away from a robbery, and he just calmly blends into traffic. <laughs> Everyone's mm -hmm. panicking around him, especially Fredo. <laughs> Fredo. Poor Fredo. He's starting to panic, and it's like, oh, we, we, we should run. We're, we're trapped here. We'll just drive up on the curb, go, you know, run over some pedestrians. Like Everybody else just like, calm down. It's like, man, chill. Just fucking take it easy. So then they, you know, they blend into traffic. There's police right behind them. <laughs> it's like, eh. They get, they get back to their garage hideout, which is sort of the key place uh, where Louis Bertin, our main character, he owns it, and it's sort of a legit business during the day. And I guess this is, I don't know, a weekend robbery. They close the place up because it's obviously <laughs> daytime. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it must be on the weekend because some places you actually get the weekend off. Well, I, classically, you just got weekends off, especially Sundays. It, that's oh. like an, a modern thing, working on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> in most places. Uh, so, yeah, they go back to their garage. They've got this cool hidden trap door where all the guns and spare license plates and shit is. Yep. They immediately get to work uh, changing the license plates and the hubcaps of the cars. Uh, they like spray paint them. Um, yeah, like... Uh, like a 1950s version of the pay and spray from Grand Theft Auto to yeah. lose all no, your it was totally. Yeah, it was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, okay, let's uh, take the heat off this vehicle, do a paint job, and can go back out. And and like the efficiency and calmness with which they do it. They must have done this a hundred times. Yeah. This except is... the one guy. Well, I feel like he's been doing it for a while too, because they mention, it's like, and it's just one time. No, yeah. he's he's been good for a long while. He he is our connection. Yeah, yeah. They actually, you're right. That's true. They do mention it's like yeah. It's weird that he cracked this time. It is weird, and I ultimately don't understand why. It just seems to be an escalation thing, and it seems to be caused by Pepito, and that Pepito does seem to be looking to try to kill people. Maybe there's. You know, a couple previous blowout attacks that uh, have him on edge now that Pepito has recently been killing people because we don't know any about it. They don't talk about previous. No, things. no. And they're not going to talk about this one either when it's over. No. Yeah. So that could totally be a thing. That That's sort of the suggestion that uh, is in my mind that Pepito has been kind of getting a little too hot and... It's starting to freak Fredo out. Which I is guess. why he does what he's going to end up doing real quick. Well, yeah, like first here, they're dividing up the money. They've got 15 million. They're each going to get 3 million because there's this fifth guy elsewhere, this informant that they have to pay off. And they're being sus about it, which is weird. I, I don't get what would make them suspicious here. Um. I think it's because Fredo is the one connecting them with the informant. Yeah. Uh, and 
they have never met this informant. Right. I feel like from from some of the context that I got from them talking about like their wives and stuff, I feel like they were old friends with Fredo. Uh, he left to do something else, and now he kind of came back and reconnected with them after a while. Yeah, I kind of the impression I get. They but, they have some old history, but there doesn't seem to be any reason that they should be distrustful of him. I mean, the informant it worked they they were it was correct the job went off without a hitch so what is it that they have to be suspicious about in this instance and then of course he pulls a gun which is just foolish yeah i love when uh when he pulls the gun uh louis doesn't even look at him he like he looks up and glares at the mirror and that's enough to make everybody stop for a second yeah, because it's it, it's sort of one of these escalation things. Raymond, our fourth guy, he calls out Fredo because of him freaking out in the car. And that's when Fredo pulls the gun. I guess it's like he wants to defend himself. And he also, also thinks that they're going to get mad at him about this informant that they're starting to act like they don't trust him about, which, again, I don't quite get why seems like maybe again more history that we don't have yeah i feel like there's got to be everything about this kind of feels like fredo has always kind of been the odd man out but we don't know how long that's been the case with this group right and louis kind of yeah he he just sort of looks at everybody because uh pepito is definitely about to kill him with like a throwing knife or something (laughs) yeah and louis just like no don't do that right now yeah he he just looks at him like "Mm -mm, mm -mm. relax everybody just be cool like me and he sends raymond to just watch fredo make the payment it's like okay we're gonna see that he's making a payment and that it's not him making it up that there's this guy yeah and everyone's gonna be happy yeah, I, I mean, even if it is, then, yeah, he's getting too much of a share, I suppose, but he's not. Yeah. He he is doing the job. He is actually working as the informant. But, like, why is he along <laughs> otherwise? <laughs> yeah. What purpose does he serve in the robbery? <laughs> that I don't honestly understand. I don't know, because this is not the guy you take with you for a bank robbery. <laughs> no, and I mean, he didn't do anything here. And he certainly doesn't do anything in the subsequent robbery. Yeah, but he's all like, I'm the one taking all the risk. Not yeah. the people out there going out and actually pointing guns at people and getting in gunfights. Right. And so we see Pepito, you know, doing some throwing knife stuff. And it's obvious that, like, this is one of the things that suggests to me that he has sort of gone off the deep end and that everybody is sort of quietly aware of it but is sort of being professional about it in in the criminal fashion which is like uh, i mean this guy's not this this guy's sort of uh off in his own world because he mentions here that he has not been home in a month yeah and louis has to tell him it's like hey go visit your children dude <laughs> he's like uh yeah man i haven't been home in a month do you think i should drop some money off or something (laughs) (laughs) 
he's he's talking about it for a second and he's like oh wait no i can't do that i've got this hot racing tip i should go to the track instead of going home and that's where Louis's like no go see your family what's wrong with you man <laughs> I'm, I'm getting worried yep we don't find out if he does no i i think he does because we see him at that after crime party oh uh yeah the dinner that's right is he with his wife no he's with a mistress there i think yeah he's with a mistress huh so yeah maybe he doesn't (laughs) (laughs) seems that way (laughs) but yeah i mean he's not going home uh he's clearly dangerous he seems to really want to shoot people in the second robbery which directly involves shooting people it's just like it awakens something in him and he can't stop shooting yeah everyone's like dude stop shooting fucking everything stop it what don't what what are you (laughs) gonna shoot this dog for get out of here he's a farmer man leave him alone so yeah, I like. I feel that Pepito is maybe secretly the root of this problem, and that's what Fredo is freaked out about. And like, man, I just can everybody just cool off? That's all Jean Gabin wants. It's like everyone just please calm down and be professional. Mm-hmm. So we, next day we see the garage in its sort of regular working fashion, and there's this rich lady who is making a fuss at the garage over this missing scarf. And I guess she is Louise mistress. Yeah. Mistress or girlfriend. I don't think Louis ever is married. No, he's not married, but it also doesn't seem like she's a legit. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, 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 like there's no relationship there. No, <laughs> we see her in these two scenes and then she's just, out of the movie because it's not part of what he's dealing with for the rest of the movie. He's not interested <laughs> in his own romances. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no. Uh, he's much more interested in somebody else's romance and not in the way you might initially think. No, it's weird because he's, I mean, it's the only time he gets emotional, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, the, the way he deals with it is weird, but he's sort of right and sort of wrong i don't know Uh, i'm still figuring out how right he is i'm still thinking about it i mean part of it is there is kind of a layer of misogyny that exists in a lot of these noir films and it's tough to extricate sometimes and like how much of this is just sort of the built-in misogyny of the era and genre and how much of it is just characterization i mean yeah one-to-one you know it's it's mm-hmm. built in so you write the character that way but yeah it, it does leave kind of a bad taste in the mouth that that one thing <laughs> but anyway he makes a date for this lady she's you know pretend she's going over this thing with the missing scarf because one of his guys probably did steal steal it because it's <laughs> an expensive scarf that, like yeah yeah no i hire all kinds of people somebody probably stole i'll just buy you another one i'm freaking rich yeah, look, I, I'm involved in crimes, okay? Most of these guys are legit, but some of them are not. And I, I just, there's other stuff I have to deal with. So, look, uh, we'll, I'll get you a new scarf. And hey, how, why don't we go to dinner tomorrow night? We've got kind of a party going on. <laughs> I, I love how it turns out his crime operation seems to be way bigger than the four robbers we see. 
Oh, completely. I feel like he's got tentacles and all sorts of stuff because I feel like the nightclub, he meets with the the nightclub owner guy, Antoine, who we meet right. a few different times. That That's the next guy who shows up and he's showing the plans for his other nightclub. And I guess he's expanding into multiple nightclubs right now. That's what it sounds like. Because uh, like Antoine's looking for investments and it does seem like this is something Louis has already done. He he most likely has a stake in the place that they all have the party at. Mm-hmm. But again, I dig that all of this is pretty... Uh, we, we don't need the exposition. We, we just sort of get that as the atmosphere. That's This guy's a major player and he has all of these other uh, side hustles that we don't need to explicitly hear what all of them are. We just know that, yeah, this guy's big. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah. a fucking big cheese. Mm-hmm. And we get from Antoine, this is where he's talking about him and Fredo going way back and that Fredo had been away. And it's, again, it's sort of complicated, but they're all besties and they've, they've known yeah. each other for years. Yeah. Like uh, even, even Pepito, when they're not talking about crime, Pepito seems almost normal yeah he seems pretty gregarious so yeah that's the next thing they all get together and they have their swank dinner party with wives and mistresses it's mostly mistresses mostly (laughs) i think fredo's the only one there with a wife and they have uh, this is the thing that antoine is is saying about how oh man she was a real floozy back in the day but now she's all stuck up and pretends like she's you know, rich society lady. <laughs> Mrs. Fredo. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and she does seem like that. Like, it, it, we get very little of the character, but it, it definitely is a sort of person who is putting on airs above her station. Yeah. So then we go to Louis's brother, Pierre, who is kind of a fuck-up and a fool. Um... Kind of, because uh, we don't know it right now, but he's breaking parole. For to see this girlfriend Helen, uh, played by Annie Annie Girardot, another pretty major actress, uh, and she's pretty obviously a gold digger. I mean, it's <laughs> like she. He's talking about how oh, I've got thirty thousand put aside to get you this really nice coat, and she's like, huh, I guess I. Would guess I shouldn't set my heart on this more expensive coat that I'd prefer. I guess I could settle with the golden fleece. Like, oh, golden sheepskin, fine. You know, I I kind of wanted an astrakhan, but I guess I'll just forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> and he he's, he's like, yeah, I love you too. He's like, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to move to town pretty soon. My brother, he's pretty influential. He's going to figure some stuff out. I'm going to work for him in his garage. I'm going to be his partner. (laughs) I'm just imagining this guy turning wrenches and it doesn't happen. (laughs) No, I mean, I don't think he's capable. No, Uh, he'd 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 be a pencil pusher. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he would just sort of be on the books and he'd be a manager kind of thing. But, like, he's... Like the the idea is that he would be working at the garage, not as part of the crime syndicate, though. Yeah, he. I think explicitly he's supposed to not be involved in that because he's not good at it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, all our troubles will be over. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's pretty explicitly her sugar daddy. He leaves oh, yeah. a bunch of money for her in a book and closes it. And the instant he leaves, she like she's been pretending to sleep. She gets up and counts it. <laughs> yeah, she counts it. She has this look on her face like, mm, all right, so so. <laughs> and we know he's also not the only one. Or we we don't know that yet, but it will turn out. Yeah. Yeah. And then as soon as he leaves the apartment building. Yeah, he's picked up by police because he is breaking parole, as you said. <laughs> he's not supposed to be in uh where are they? I guess they're just Paris. in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. He's supposed to be in this um other town. Yeah, I can't remember where they mention he's supposed to be. It's somewhere nearby. Yeah. But <laughs> no. Not alone. I, I love the cops uh methods on this one. They're like shucks you know we wish we could let you go but we really can't oh unless well yeah they want to pressure him into becoming an informant on louis gang Mm -hmm. and they they know louis has this whole gang they're aware of who all of these guys are and they're like look we're not even going after louis just give us his other guys we we want to get the other people in the crime syndicate there was you know a daylight robbery just the other day we just want some information on that. And, you know, if you do that, we'll just, we'll give you, like, the special police hall pass to wander around Paris as much as you want. Yeah, and he refuses very outright. They put him in jail because he refuses. Uh, but I guess this is sort of the kernel for them not trusting him. But it's funny, it really doesn't come up until something else. Yeah, and... And it turns out, like, it's not, I don't think it's just that he's refusing. He, I think he actually doesn't know anything. He doesn't. He clearly yeah. does not know anything. But they, it's it's not that they want him to tell him or tell them anything right now. It's that oh. they want him to become an informant because they know he's going to come work in the garage. Oh, right. So that, yes, you're you're right. He is adamantly refusing. He's like, no, I'm not going to do this for you. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to become your informant. Uh, absolutely no chance. And he sticks to that. I mean, he has integrity, even if he's a bit of a fool. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, off to jail with you, I guess. He's put in a holding cell with an obviously gay prostitute. <laughs> that, that guy. <laughs> yeah, I love this guy. I like him, the way he carries himself. It, it's funny, you know, it's a very antiquated depiction, but and sort of no signifiers that we would currently use but you look at that guy and like oh yeah he's a gay guy (laughs) this is this is a 50s gay french prostitute and it's it's funny how there is just an immediate recognition even though i've never really seen that before (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah it took me like a second or two i'm like what's this guy's deal oh he's a gay guy he's like oh yeah they've picked him up for soliciting or whatever and he's yeah and he's he's got the trench coat that he's wearing over the tux, but he's got it like pulled down so it's like just uh, around the shoulders. It's it's a weird look. It's like, hmm, this guy carries himself in a certain kind of way. Yeah, he pulls it off. Yeah. So uh, we we cut to Louis having breakfast with mom because he he doesn't. I I think he still lives 
in the, like they think they share an apartment still. I think he lives with his mother. Yes. But he lives in a bunch of places. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I bet that's it. I think he owns a whole bunch of houses and this is one of them. Because he's also saying, uh, you know, I should buy you a better place, Mom. You, you could get another place. And, uh, and she's like, well, where are you going to get the money? Uh, he's like, hey, he's I, like yeah, I've well, got an extra stash. You, you just spent all that money on your garage. Like, I, I have resources. <laughs> yeah. The mom, of course, knows what's going on. And she's just like, oh, dear. It's, you know, it's weird. I don't think she knows what's going on with Louis. No? She just knows that Pierre is in crime. Oh, because Pierre got caught. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. So you know that it's <laughs> she's talking about how, uh, or, or Louis is talking about how he's been working with you know his influential friends to get the ban lifted so that Pierre can come back to Paris and work in the garage. So she kind of feels he has political connections rather than criminal connections. He might actually. I mean, yeah, I think he kind of does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's also interesting because this confirms that uh, what Pierre was saying, which obviously in the context sounds like made up bullshit, isn't made yeah. up bullshit. And he's actually been talking to Louis about this. And he he does actually like this happens. Yeah. <laughs> Not in in a few scenes, he actually does manage to get it worked out. So he's able to go over the cops' heads on this, which. Mm -hmm does show that he is pretty powerful yeah yeah so our the the guy from the holding cell shows up the i <laughs> he knocks on the door and like uh he answers the door and uh mom says like who's at the door and he's like it's a puff <laughs> <laughs> pierre sent us poof pierre yeah. sent us a puff and he's like hey you know that's kind of rude i came here to deliver a message for you He's like, eh, never mind, never mind. What's the message? <laughs> so I was chilling in jail with Pierre, and the mom's like, oh, God. He's like, listen, no, I, uh, trust me, I didn't do anything. It, it's it's, <laughs> it's all, a it, miscarriage of justice. It's pure profiling. You don't understand. He's like, listen, I don't care. Can we just get to the message? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says, like, well, it's Pierre. He, he told me to let you know that they had him, and it's like, huh? Where did they pick you? Where did they pick him up? And it's like, oh yeah, it was at this spot. And it's like, fuck, that's Helen's place. Oh, I hate that lady. <laughs> <laughs> I love his reaction. He's like the whole movie. He's just been completely deadpan, like just yeah. like, in control of everything. But as soon as her name comes up, he's like, ah. Yeah, it just it immediately like this this sends him into the only rage he has. Just, he the the guy shows up the door. He's still like asleep, basically. Like, uh huh. Uh, for some reason, Pierre sent us a poof. I don't understand. <laughs> and it's like, so where was this at? Gives the location. Like, oh, that's Helen's place. Oh, Helen. Oh, I'm gonna go see her right now <laughs> to deal with this. Uh, I I, I kind of like what he does, sort of. It's interesting. He's, I I mean, the way he goes about it is underhanded, but he does give her a fair chance, I suppose, to be reasonable. Yeah. Uh, so he goes to the salon she works at. She she does she does people's nails. Uh -huh. 
and he goes in. She doesn't she doesn't know who he is. No, which is kind of weird because she seems to be pretty aware of the relationship and understands that it is him after the date, even though I don't think he ever expressly says who he is. I think she just figures it out <laughs> afterwards. Oh, <laughs> uh, this must be your super powerful, like crime boss garage owner brother, I bet. Mm-hmm. And she has another guy outside waiting at the time. <laughs> yeah, waiting right now. Currently waiting. And Louis is very ostentatiously showing off his wealth. Uh, he he has a thing where it, it's kind of the Buster Keaton thing from Sherlock oh, Jr. He has totally this that. giant box of candies with a price tag attached show up. <laughs> he basically... <laughs> basically like flips it over and points at it almost <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, he he also gives her like a really huge tip and then he hands it over to her and he's like oh, okay i see and of course he makes sure to show his fat stack of cash when he pulls it out necessarily yeah and like he's obviously showing himself off as someone who can be a sugar daddy and he is like applying for the position of sugar daddy <laughs> she basically tells him it's like hey he's he's outside if you go talk to him you got the role yeah she's like okay i mean i have this guy waiting outside for me right now so i can't go to lunch with you uh he's in a green car and he looks like this and his name <laughs> is this <laughs> <laughs> so yeah gaban goes out and he's like hey uh if something came up she's going to lunch with me rather than you so uh why don't you fucking beat it you punk <laughs> and the guy's just the guy's reaction is like you can't do this you, you can't and then he drives off and well he he says you can't do this but he's also looking at jean gaban's scary face as he's saying he's just starting up the car and starting to drive away and like you can't do this to me (laughs) start start (laughs) you haven't heard the last of me but we have absolutely so they go on a walk in the park and he very explicitly suggests a sugar daddy kind of situation but he he makes it very attractive. It's like, I'm only in Paris like two days a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how come you don't have a fur coat? Yeah. It's like, I, you know, uh, and she's like, oh, well, I've been thinking about getting this golden sheepskin. It's like, I'll buy you a mink. Uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, I mean, this is working out for me. This is way better than that other guy who's barely paying me at all and can't get a good coat <laughs> and yeah is the thing like would you be interested in that sort of things like yeah you know it's kind of tough or he's he's saying about how a woman needs a man to take care of her oh yeah he, like he asks too like are you seeing anybody else besides the green car guy and he's like nope not not another one and it's it's tough to find someone who you like and so she starts to respond and yeah then he slaps her and this <laughs> This slap was like, I was listening in headphones. This slap is so much louder than anything else in the movie. It's it's as loud as when Pepito starts machine gunning everything. It yeah. Like, yeah, it's like snap me up right to attention. It's the first really loud thing in the movie because everyone's been at a pretty quiet register. And it's like, slap. Yeah. Stay away from Pierre. God damn it. <laughs> 
and just like walks away I'm like oh shit <laughs> i i mean she's obviously written to be the bad woman but i do still sort of feel bad for her because <laughs> yeah. like she is living a hard scrabble existence at the lower tiers in paris and she's like yeah this is how she gets around she has to deal with crappy old guys but that's poor, life yeah but poor pierre actually thinks that she loves him though true true and pierre is so unnecessarily devoted to her oh god he simps so hard he, he's he well, i mean he broke his parole and risked jail and got thrown yeah. in jail just to do it yeah it's it's sad uh I, I guess I have mentioned Pierre played by Marcel Bozuffi, who's you know another great legendary French actors and tons of stuff. Uh, he also plays a guy named Pierre in the French connection uh, who's I think he is the French well not the French connection. he's one of the French guys. I think he's the main secondary guy to the big boss in that. Cool. You ever see the French Connection? No, I never did. It's it's on my list though. Awesome movie. Uh, Friedkin, the director, just died the other oh. day. Oh uh, shit! Probably his best, I think. That or The Exorcist. He hated The Exorcist, but it's a great movie. <laughs> the Exorcist is pretty darn good. Uh, his sequel to The Exorcist is bug nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, he. He deals with that, and then he goes and takes his mom to a little cafe to surprise her. I, I guess we cut forward like a few months. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not clear, but we do cut forward a few weeks to a few months. I don't know. It's definitely been a while because they're planning their next thing, and he's sorted out Pierre's passport issue or whatever. And also... Pierre is starting to be like, I can't seem to get a hold of Helene. She hasn't answered any of my uh, letters. So you have to assume it's been a while. Yeah. Although he might be also be one of those guys who writes like five letters a day. It could be. He does kind of seem like the type. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, maybe it's been five letters a day and it's been a while. Poor Helene's just be. got a pile. <laughs> yeah. And like, he he does a thing where he surprises her that like he he has to go he he sets he 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 gets some drinks and then he has Pierre show up as a surprise and like hey you know I figured out his stuff and he's gonna live with us again isn't that great he the uh, Pierre sits down with the mom and Gaban has to go out and see some guy and make a call or something. <laughs> So that's yeah. how he can talk about Helene, who's a secret from Louis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, necessarily. And yeah. the, the mom is really cagey. I was like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're supposed to go out for partying, drinking and stuff, but he really wants to figure out what's going on with Helene and Ben and or Louis ends up on some other thing, and Pierre ends up just going and lurking outside her house. Which is, <laughs> oh man! Oh god! Yeah, that's Dude. right. He doesn't. He's <laughs> waiting for her out there when she shows up with her friends. She shows up from a date. 
there's a guy that she was clearly on a date with there because they're like hey you've got some competition man <laughs> oh yeah they're like hollering at him from the car like good luck buddy yeah and very like before they even start to drive away she closes the door in his face and like man leave me alone and she says i don't want to end up in the bois de boulogne i guess that's <laughs> don't wanna... river or... i i you i i think uh i i think it's sort of like i don't want to end up in the soup oh <laughs> but, oh uh... yeah okay <laughs> But, uh, and he's like, what the, what, what does she mean by that? Yeah, the the Bois de Boulogne is a large public park. Uh, huh. But I guess maybe that's the park that they were walking in. Uh, and maybe it also refers to the river or something. Maybe it's a local reference of some kind. I mean, it, it's definitely having to refer to the park, but... Yeah, maybe that's where they dump bodies. Maybe that's yeah. sort of classically known as body dump central yeah, for like in New York, criminal gangs. In New York, it'd be like, oh, I don't want to end up in the Hudson River. Exactly. And you know what that yeah. means. Right. It's it's sort of a funny choice of words, too, because Pierre really sticks on it, and it's one that she repeats as well. But because of the specificity of the phrase, Pierre comes back with that phrase to Louis. And Louis has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. Because <laughs> yeah, Louis didn't mention it. Louis's yeah, like, that's not something he said. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess this is sort of the part that starts the plot as such that it's described on like Letterboxd, where Pierre comes back home unexpectedly early because he had hoped to, you know, hang out with his girlfriend, which absolutely was not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But Louis and Pepito are planning the next robbery in one of the rooms in their apartment. And I, I think maybe this is where, like, the red light's on and it's under the door. This is the red light being on. It, he stops and eavesdrops for a moment. They don't call it a red light, though, and you can't no, they don't. see it in, because... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's the title. What can yeah, I say? I don't know. <laughs> it's the original title. But anyway, he... Uh, Pepito almost kills him immediately. Yeah, <laughs> it's like reaching for his throwing knife, and uh, Louis is like, "Just please, <laughs> did, you, did you hear anything? No, I didn't hear anything. Listen, just if he has heard anything, don't tell him. I didn't hear anything. Okay, fine, but don't tell anyone what you didn't hear. Yeah, just swear to me, swear to me on our mother's life." that you will not tell anyone it's very important okay and he, swears. and he swears yeah so pierre says listen i went to go see helen it's like man i told you not to go see helen that lady sucks she is a floozy <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh pierre's like hey i want to know what this bois de boulogne thing is about and <laughs> louis like man I one, what? I don't know what that's about. And two, I told you not to see that lady, and he gives him like a major backhand. It's oh yeah, a hell of a slap. He like knocks him down. <laughs> and then, the, then mom comes in. <laughs> and she slaps Louis, and Louis's just like, Yeah. Oh. 
If oh, mom's yeah. slapping me, I must be out of line. Yeah, he he is a good mama's boy. He's like, okay, all right. Note taken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but listen, Helen, bad news. Don't go after her anymore. Remember what I told you about what you swore to. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to the next robbery. Um, this is pretty wild action sequence it kind of was more violent than i expected given how chill and quiet the whole movie had been up to this point and how chill that first robbery was <laughs> yeah completely non-violent this actually this reminds this robbery reminds me almost completely of the one from uh wild jumbo oh yeah they're very yeah. similar and it, it kind of gave me a feel of heat uh, oh, which the, I, the Michael Mann movie. Yeah, or, which I, I know you seen haven't yet. seen. <laughs> yeah. So good though. But yeah, they they attack a car which is transporting money from a bank between cities. They run them off the road, and obviously Pepito goes out with a submachine gun and he fucking blows both of the people away. Oh yeah, it doesn't even give them an opportunity to surrender. Mm-hmm. Just like and they instant. just yeah, just machine gun and they're dead, and they go in the back, and they just take two cases out and start to get going. But then, like, I, I don't know, there there's some sort of delay for a moment, and then the motorcycle cops show up very shortly after. I, like, I've, I don't know. I presume that they're supposed to be escorting the car? I don't understand why they're that far behind because it does seem like they're related to this. They, uh, I think they were expecting them to be there. Well, I think the plan was the motorcycle cops were going to hang back. Since the last robbery was nonviolent, they didn't think they'd have to get in right away. Right. And then, well, that's that's why. My guess. But then, like, I don't even understand what the point would be to have them hang back, other than to make the car less obvious as a money transport car i guess maybe well i think... again just details that were not given <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i feel like the motorcycle cops in the plan weren't supposed to be there and... i think they were expecting them to show up i think they just weren't expecting them to show up as quickly hmm. or something like that and it's like oh shit they're the motorcycle cops we better get going yeah, and so there, there's there's a fucking car chase with them shooting out the fucking back window and shit. It's kind of rad. Yeah, uh, Raymond gets shot. Yeah, he gets shot. He does shoot one of the cops, uh, although I know neither of them end up getting killed. Yeah, one of them does a flip, though. Yeah, uh, they, they try to get Fredo to shoot out the back window, and he won't. So Pepito... Uh, is forced to shoot his machine gun a whole bunch. <laughs> I guess I'll do it. I didn't want to. Although he doesn't really get to shoot anyone there because he shoots, but they take a sharp turn and a cop hits a fence and just goes flying into a field. Yeah. But yeah, they get to this farm because they need to change vehicles because there's a whole bunch of very conspicuous bullet holes in this one now. Can't paint over <laughs> those very well. Yeah. So this is where Pepito is out of his mind. Like, he's clearly way too dangerous to be around. And I get why Fredo is freaking out. Yeah. Oh, totally. He massacres this entire family. 
I don't know if he does. I don't know if he shoots the people because they start running away. And he just seems to be shooting at the walls of the building. Yeah, um... I don't know if he shoots anyone here. He's aiming at the, like, there. there's a farm dog, and he's, like, aiming at that, and uh, Louis just stands in front of him and is like, man, stop shooting. What's your problem? Just chill out. And <laughs> he does end up blowing up the car with the bullets. Yeah, that, that was cool. I wasn't expecting to see an actual, like, burning car in this. <laughs> it was pretty rad, yeah. It's like, okay, we, we gotta deal with the vehicle, and he you know, uh, opens the fuel line and shoots a, uh, shoots a bunch of bullets into the gas tank. Yeah, it blows up. Mm-hmm. And they, they steal a farm truck with a cow. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I just love that they're making their getaway with a cow. That's... <laughs> yeah, who would expect uh, people in a, a vehicle towing a cow on a trailer to be the people who just did a fucking armed bank robbery? <laughs> yeah i mean it's great for blending in i just love like the whole time the rest of the time they're in this car you just hear this yeah it just the the trailer kind of rocking back and forth behind them it's sort of a rickety old farm vehicle <laughs> so raymond dies they dump his body in a quarry <laughs> yeah i gotta wonder was that a dummy drop or was that a person? That might have been a guy falling down that. It looked like a real dude yeah. the way he rolls. You know, good stuntman, maybe. Yeah. Uh, impressive. Uh, they, yeah, it comes up pretty well. So they uh, get back to town. They split up. Uh, and uh, clearly, Fredo is freaked out and he just kind of takes off and. They're like, I don't know what's going to go on with that. But they all go their separate directions. Later, Louis and Pepito meet back up to split the loot. And Fredo doesn't show. Yep. And they're like, he just ain't there. It's not like him not to show up to get the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's weird. Do you think maybe he sold us out? No, he loves money too much. It's like, I I really doubt he would. Uh, But you know what? We're going to pay him off this last time. We'll figure it out. He'll, he's probably freaked out about all the violence that happened. And he'll show up. Just be cool. Pepito, please just be cool. You know what? I'm retiring. I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> what about me? You'll find a gang that appreciates your trigger happy. Yeah, You'll find a different gang, I'm sure. Uh, I just can't do it anymore. Between all these legitimate businesses I'm running to, I, I just don't need yeah. to. Right. He's got his nightclubs and stuff. And I think he does say that. It's like, I've got my nightclubs. I've got money stashed away. I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just getting out of hand. So we see Pierre going to Helen again. <laughs> of course. He, he, bought, he bought the golden sheepskin that he said he was going to get. Yep. And of course, now she's like, oh, well, now you can stay in my place because you have the thing. And he's like, I guess I could let him in. I I sort of feel bad about (laughs) shutting him out before. And she sort of reframes the meeting with Louis. She says that he propositioned her and she's the one who slapped him. Yeah, which um, I, I don't think Fredo buys it, but I think he wants to buy it. Uh, uh, Pierre. Or Pierre, yeah, right, I, right, right. I, yeah, I don't think he 
I mean, it he probably like does. We thing to do. No, I think he knows Louis better than that, mm-hmm. and that, and and then you know he picks up the newspaper and he reads about the crime that he heard them planning. Yeah, and how <laughs> like people are dead, people have been cops have been shot. Yeah, two people have been murdered. Also, there are two cops in hospital, and he just fucking goes white. And Helen's like, "What's up? <laughs> What's your deal?" All of a sudden. And he won't say, and he's like, all right, well, then fucking get out of here if you don't trust me. Yeah, so he, he's like getting ready to leave, and then he stops. He's like, yo, I think I think my brother my brother did that murder robbery. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my brother was involved in this crime. I, I'm, I'm freaking out because uh, he, he just was involved in a bunch of murders. This is not cool. And then, you know, next morning, police show up and arrest Louis. First thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone sold him out. Yeah. It's a really cool, uh, this is the mystery element where it's the next morning and they see him hauled off and we have multiple people who could have turned him in. Yeah, um, definitely uh, Pierre could have after seeing that newspaper article. Or Helene. Or, yeah. independently of him because she has a specific beef with him and he is maybe a danger to her. So I do feel like the, the way it zooms in on her eyes reacting to Pierre telling her what happened, it really seems to be heavily suggesting that she's the one who uh, is the informant. Oh, you know, I hadn't considered her as being the informant until you mentioned it just now. But it's like, yeah, okay, I can see how she could be. Yeah, I feel visual language-wise, that's kind of what's being suggested. Okay. But of course, it will turn out to be Fredo very, very soon. (laughs) Actually, yeah, really soon. (laughs) They they reveal it very quickly. It's just the important person who needs to know this doesn't find out about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, police arrest Louis right when Pepito is going to uh, pick him up. So Pepito's like, uh-oh, I better go on the hunt. And we get to Louis in jail. And he's like, someone has already completely ratted you out. So you may as well just tell us. We know ex- everything that happened. And like, we know that these are the other people who are involved. And they all have code names. Yeah, th- I, I got confused about the code names because I was like, am I supposed to know these? And it's no, the only reason is just to show that the cops know way more than we ever thought they did. Right, and also that these guys have these code names and they've been known to the police under these like criminal nom de plumes for some time, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. There's like, uh, I think uh, Pepito is the Sphinx. Uh, he's or is the that Gypsy. Gaban? He's the Gypsy. Uh, so Gaban is the Sphinx. Yeah, somebody's right? the sailor. I think Raymond is the sailor. Raymond is the sailor because they say that they found the sailor's body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who Fredo is. I think he's just Fredo. <laughs> he really feels like a Fredo. <laughs> Fredos we have known. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> From the Godfather. Yeah. So uh, was, please show up. Uh, more police show up and like hey we just were at his place and we found some of the loot in his house also his mother tagged along <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's you just waiting like she's, outside you feel like they're gonna get her in to yell at him and it's gonna be like uh 
that uh, that fourth uh, scorpion movie. <laughs> yeah, he just rats out everybody because she just she starts crying. <laughs> but no, he's he's a sphinx. He's not going to do that. Nope. So, yeah, they, they she's like, all right, come on, we've got everything on you. And you know who else we've got? And they open the door to the other room. Here's Fredo right here. He's the one who narked on you and the whole gang. He's like, I had to do it. There's too much killing. I can't handle it anymore. And Louis just stone cold, like, what is this puppet show? Who is this guy? What are you talking about? Yeah, I've never seen this man before in my life. Someone uh, tell me what's going on here. This is stupid. <laughs> they're like, all right. I mean, we've got you dead to rights. We found the money in your house. We're just going to leave you handcuffed to the radiator and go deal with this other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you sit there long enough, you'll listen to reason. And there's this other guy in the office, this other accused robber who is also just like, yeah. I didn't do anything. I was like, man, we, we caught you dead to rights with all of this stuff. I was like, that's not the way I see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Louis starts communicating to him with hand signals and stuff. Yeah, he sees a kindred spirit and like, hey, uh, let's uh, figure something out. I can pay you off. <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy, uh, what, Louis asks to go to the bathroom. And then while he's out of the room, the other guy just starts a ruckus. So the the other cop who's watching the door really wants to get in on beating this guy because they've all been itching to beat this guy all morning. <laughs> <laughs> He's just been like just such a shit to them. Yeah, he, he is just really being annoying. So they've been wanting to beat him up. So this is just a perfect excuse. And finally, the guy takes off to go beat him. And Louis just walks out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll sign the deposition. Maybe I won't. I just love it. It's it's just like his getaway from the first robbery. Just like I'll just walk away as long as I, you know, carry myself in a certain way. Nobody's gonna mess with me. <laughs> he walks by his mother, who looks at him, and and he just looks at her and gives like this hand signal, like not now, mom, not now. Yeah, he ju he just raises a hand, and she understands, and she's quiet and watches him leave. And so he goes back to Antoine's restaurant, you know, from the, the place that they had the big party and everything. Yeah. And they, you know, they've got a back room where they can cut the cuffs off and give him information on where everybody is. And he's like, okay, I need you to get word out to everybody. Uh, it was not, uh, it was not Pierre. It was Fredo who informed. I, I need to make sure that Pepito knows that it was Fredo. Meanwhile, Pepito's like, I'm gonna kill Pierre right now. I'm gonna kill yeah. Pierre right now. Yeah, he's like out there tracking him down. Antoine gives uh uh Louis a hundred thousand dollars and a gun. <laughs> it's like, okay, go here here's your bug out money and here's a gun so you can deal with Pepito if necessary. So Louis phones up that guy. There there's this Dude Biber, who had been he, he's always hanging out at the candy store at the arcade machine. Oh yeah, that the, guy. the pinball machine. Yeah. He's sort of like the, the their youth core for the crime <laughs> group, you know? Because <laughs> like Pepito had run into him earlier and said that he'd seen 
Pierre at Helene. So Pepito is on the way to Helene's right now. And he communicates that to Louis. Yeah. Like, Louis, oh, shit, I got to get over there immediately. <laughs> they, he runs and gets there immediately after Pepito. Like, he sees Pepito going in the building. And it's like, hey, Pepito, it wasn't him. It was Fredo. It's like, I'm not listening to you. Yeah, I don't believe you. You're just trying to mess with me. Just trying to make uh, it so I don't murder your brother. Yeah, it's like, well, yes, but it's also true. <laughs> and Louis just punches him in the face. Uh, Pepito shoots him. He, like, goes over the banister. <laughs> yeah, it's this whole th- they do, like, the whole thing where he's, like, grabbing on and Pepito's stomping on his hand. And Pepito, like... Before that, he Pepito shoots him like three more times yeah. while he's hanging. Oh, right, yeah. And then the last thing that Louis is able to do is, while he's still hanging on with one hand that's getting stomped on, he pulls out his pistol and shoots Pepito. Yeah, gets him right in the heart. And then uh, he falls. So the whole gang is down. Oh, only Fredo survived by going to the police and we just get Helene holding Pierre as our closing shot. And it's it's ambiguous. It's like, is this a good ending? I mean, Pierre didn't get killed. I like that <laughs> but... the fiend zooms in and then zooms back out. Like, like, it's not quite a definitive ending. Like, is this really the ending we want? Or what is like, really well, going to this... happen at the end? Yeah, it's like, well, it's over. But uh... <laughs> yeah. Things didn't really go great for anybody. Uh, <laughs> Helene sort of won in a weird sort of way. Things worked out decently for her. Yeah, everybody else is up in the air. Yeah, I mean, the threat is taken off. You know, she does not have that threat hanging over her head. She pretty firmly has Pierre now. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> for <her. laughs> He's going to be even more devoted to her than he already was. Yeah, so it's it's a very cold and strange ending uh like in a good way Uh i i do appreciate sort of the uh bleakness uh that it has to it yeah no i i liked this a lot it was uh it it, it was an interesting that it felt like criminal slice of life Mm -hmm. uh so this is of course a set uh so the next one in this is uh called back to the wall uh let me look up a bit on that again I'm trying to remember i believe this one stars um lino ventura okay from or no no i guess that, that's the third one in the set is starring lino who played pepito oh okay uh this one's this one's a jean jean moreau who's also a pretty major French actress. Uh, So back to the wall, rich industrialist Jacques Decret learns his wife, Gloria is having an affair with a young actor. So in revenge, he sends a bunch of anonymous letters uh, and that he pretends are from the lover. Hmm. Uh, sounds i don't know i don't know what to make of that uh i I think there's supposed to be a murder involved (laughs) that is like uh there's like a blackmail i think okay uh not a very clear description on here Hmm. 
so uh, first, it is a box set, sort of. Yeah. So uh, obviously, we would do that. Uh, we would either do that one next, or uh, the next one. In the set is a Jacques Duray film. Uh, a guy who is the second AD on this. Okay. Uh, went on to do his own movies. So this is one from '63 called "Symphony for a Massacre," where we've got a group of gangsters devise a plan to steal a game contested between two drug gangs. Uh, All right. So yeah, that sounds fun. Um... Yeah. What? Trying to find like clear information about any of these <laughs> not well, very famous movies. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think this one's more of a minimalist uh, crime thing of just like a whole bunch of criminals in this. Okay, like again, Paris street crime stuff. So the uh, one guy sent by train to make a payment. And then the other guys make a plan to get aboard the train and steal the money and <laughs> weasel all the other guys out of the money. And then everything goes wrong, obviously. Oh, of course, of course. Okay, yeah. Um, well, those both sound kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Why don't we... Why don't we shuffle this set back in for a little bit and uh, <laughs> put that other one up at the top? move up symphony for a massacre yeah uh all right so do you have any last thoughts on speaking of murder before we head on to part two well speaking of murder speaking of murder the communists are going to murder all the children and all the baptists in one of our next features yeah a hell of a thing we'll uh head on to part two we're going to talk about some ormonds (laughs) yeah and we're back for part two, where we're talking about part two of the Ormonds, uh, covering the next four films in the From Hollywood to Heaven, I think is the title on the box set. Yep, From Hollywood to Heaven. Um, oh, there was a subtitle, but the something like The Lost Films of the, the Ormond Family. The Lost and Saved Films of That's the Ormond Films, because, you know, they were lost and then they were saved uh religiously and we're we're sort of in these four we're sort of documenting the hinge point but it's interesting it's not it's not a clean transition it almost is but there's one odd man out and if that movie were taken out it would be like a perfect slope into uh religious madness it's weird though because yeah i don't know yeah uh Some, something happened <laughs> well yeah i mean they they had it there was a plane crash mm-hmm. uh which uh i mean we'll talk to talk about that when we get to between those movies when we get to between right. two and three so the first movie in the set is 40 acre feud which i think was one of their biggest hits this was 40 acre feud oh yeah i mean there's a ton of country stars it was kind of at the early stages of the country music film you know you didn't have music oh, okay. videos or anything yet this is uh and it, they they got a lot of big stars just oh, like you know what yeah i mean it's, thinking, it's it's crazy all of the people that are in this yeah thinking about it now like 
no, this would get so much play. It's, it's, it's basically, I was watching it as a movie with a bunch of musical interludes, but no, it's, it's a bunch of musical, it's, it's a musical variety show with kind of a story that sort of ties it together. There's plot. I, I mean, the, the it's the the Culpeppers and the Calhouns. I want to say the Calhouns. Uh, it's Foxy Calhoun and Pa Culpepper. Or I might have that backwards. No, I think that's right. Uh, Uncle <laughs> Foxy Calhoun. Uh, and yeah, it's it's sort of just kind of shitty comedy. They're they're obviously doing a riff on the uh, uh, the hatfield mccoys you know they they've had this uh, centuries-long family feud between the two of them and I, I think at the very beginning we see just like a tiny little bit of like a flashback to what originally happened or something uh i don't actually Remembering? think we do um but we do get we do get our they kind of imply that the whole town is caught up in this feud, but it isn't. It's really just the two fathers. Well, there isn't much of a town. It's there, well, it, there's that too. As we say, forty acre feud. It, this sort of pertains to the 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 size of the town is only forty acres total. So it's it's a, this tiny community called Shagbottom, and it's literally unknown they they did a census and they found out this place existed so now <laughs> they because they were off the books they need to elect a state representative which total fucking nonsense but <laughs> one of these two guys is you know supposed to become their state rep which doesn't happen I'm spoilers yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the state representative not because I'm the best man for the job but because I'm not going to let Pa Culpepper do it Right, it's it's this family feud thing, uh, and I mean that's not really the point. the The point is you've got uh, you've got Ferlin Husky who, for some reason, also decides to be an actor and does character stuff in it. He's the guy who sings Timber, which is a kick ass song. But oh yeah, <laughs> then he's also just playing this character Simon Crumb and doing just awful shtick. <laughs> Why? Is that the kind of um is he like the kind of like the slow guy? Or is he like the, uh, no Timber. The uh I he's not the guy who does I like I don't I can't remember I believe he's the guy who does the fucking terrible the way my baby done me song too. <gasps> the way my baby done me is nothing, nothing to do at home. Right home about. Yeah, it's it's so fucking lame. Is this song about how? Yeah, he's one of the like the the main. He's the main couple guy. Right, which is weird because he's like an actual country star. He he's like a rockabilly guy, and his oh, own okay. song that he plays in his like playing himself for Lynn Husky. It's a good song. Like it's the one that it kind of rocks, but yeah, it's. His uh, his songs in his milk toast persona are just—it's weird, <laughs> and and they sort of—I I guess that's the most interesting feature of the film for me—is the way all of these songs are about how their love lives are fucked up and everything sucks, <laughs> and they wish they could just fucking die, and <laughs> all of them, every single one. I mean, I know that's like Except the cliche, the one. cliche of classic country music, but goddamn, it's oh. 
uh, I was, yeah, this was maybe the first time I've really actually sat down and listened to country music. And my God, this shit gets dark. They're so depressive. Uh, and, and you got pretty much all of the major people. You got George Jones, you got Loretta Lynn, Skeeter Davis, which uh, even was, I've heard of some of them. Yeah. Skeeter Davis, uh, end of the world is like the song you'd probably know. I don't oh, know if really? she plays it in this movie, but don't you know it's the end of the world? Oh, not that. It, I'm thinking of a different end of the world. One. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's yeah. a pretty famous I've song. I've heard that one. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's her I big track. She, she might, that might be in this maybe movie. Maybe it is. I'm the, not sure. Maybe she does. Because, I mean, they're all lip sync performances, which is also <laughs> kind of, it, it detracts from it. I mean, it's before they did live performances in this sort of thing. And it's too bad because, like, they're in a recording studio. And one of the most famous recording studios is, like, uh, it's uh, the, uh, what's the name of this place? The Barn or whatever. Oh, God. Uh, I, I don't know. I'll find it out. But um, uh, anyways, uh, Skeeter Davis, one of the tidbits in the Jimmy McDonough book on uh, the Ormonds, just one of the things like this one, it's obviously all Nashville musicians and stuff, but so are the other three. (laughs) (laughs) They're They're just packed with Nashville musicians. The exotic ones, which is, you know, supposed to be a New Orleans movie. They're mostly all Nashville musicians in that movie. Like all of the actors are just people they knew who did music in Nashville. <laughs> Crazy. Some of the some of the acts in that one are uh, came, so were also in this yeah. one and and the next one. Yeah, does the, the harmonica couple are not in this one, right? No, they're in two. Yeah, or two. Yeah, they're they're in the next two. Right. They should have yeah. been in all four. <laughs> they should have. <laughs> just have them like the guy with the huge harmonica that's just like sticking out of his mouth, his like gaping mouth as he's dead in the street. Yeah. Um, I, I believe the place is called Bradley's Barn. Oh, okay. Uh, and and it's a just it's a famous recording studio for Nashville musicians, and it's just they they did record it in this famous location. So they could have recorded performances. It's not like they couldn't, but the, you know, it just wasn't a thing that was done yet. But also lip syncing was yeah. new here because none of these people had really performed on camera before. And you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them were trying to like do little funny bits in the middle of their songs. Oh, yeah. Never lands. It's, it's kind of great though. That's kind of maybe the best stuff about it. But uh, right. I, Skeeter Davis, one of the things in the McDonough book, uh, her marriage got broken up with one of the other country singers in this movie. I can't remember which dude it is, but um, it was broken up by one of the Ormond's script girls. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Skeeter Davis who was caught in bed with her. <laughs> so it was kind of a really big scandal in Nashville. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, the music of this is good. I, it's pretty good. I didn't care about the story. But I enjoyed the music. I mean, there's practically no story. 
Yeah, it's it's not the the story isn't the point. I mean, it's it's basically it's a hee haw episode, but long. Uh, hee haw didn't exist yet, but hee haw was born from this template. Uh, you just add, you know, a, a couple dudes standing up in a corn patch periodically to comment on things, and you're pretty much there. Uh, Mini Pearl basically playing the character she would play on that show. <laughs> like e- even down to like the hat with the price tag. I mean, I, I think that <laughs> like that is her signature. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Although th- it's kind of just her, I guess. She she just did this. Uh. It- is she the one who's like, well, I guess they should just invent a replacement to men or something like that? Yes, yes, that's Minnie Pearl. Okay. She was fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the Minnie Pearl thing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, like, super into it. Uh, but I, like, I saw lots of fucking hee-haw as a kid. And I, I, I didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i mean she's she's doing her thing so (laughs) it it is what it is and and you know it it is just a sort of a showcase of all of that uh what i guess you would call hillbilly talent of the era that that sort of uh (laughs) the the concept and this was like hillbilly music or the and hillbilly comedy Mm -hmm. and it, it it's girl from tobacco row is sort of the vanguard also of exploitation it's just they did it all wrong (laughs) (laughs) i will say girl from tobacco row did almost nothing right no it's it's terrible uh it had a trailer and it had a really good poster and like they even talked about that in the book and they admitted themselves like, well, it didn't really have any of the things that an exploitation movie is actually supposed to have. So, <laughs> I mean, it didn't do anything and nobody liked it. Yeah. But that's and they, they recognize that as fair. Because nothing, there's nothing. It's, we'll get to it in a bit. <laughs> so, yeah, 40 Acre Feud, uh, they, they have all their performances. Uh some uh, classic songs. Everybody is just doing terrible in bed. Oh yeah, like um, <laughs> well, I guess you don't love me, so I'm gonna jump off a bridge. I'm paraphrasing, but there's songs about that. Yeah, I mean it's it's all that sort of stuff. There's that one about the eighteen wheeler going off the road, or something. Oh, that that song was upbeat and fun and happy. It's like, hey man, sure. it's really hard to turn a truck around. I need forty <laughs> acres to do it. Oh yeah, I need forty acres to turn this eighteen wheeler around. Yeah, is that also Ferlin Husky? Oh gosh, I, I, I don't can't know. remember. I was not keeping track of who was singing what. Yeah, but uh, yeah, <laughs> the so the I guess the resolution of the uh, story is everybody gets the exact same number of votes. So. Except for the one guy, the postmaster, who's the supposedly the only guy neutral in this feud. Supposedly. Yeah, we've sort of had him established as just being this likable dope. That, yeah. That people, uh, postmaster Amos Quint. Uh, and yeah, I guess he, the, he gets, they, they decide to make him the guy instead. Yeah. 
yeah so it's like well who should i it's like i get the tie-breaking vote who should i vote for i'll let the couple decide who i'm gonna vote for and then they decide to vote for him and because that's how elections work he wins yeah i don't know it <laughs> doesn't whatever <laughs> i mean none of it made sense to begin with the, no. the whole concept of them needing a state <laughs> representative and like you know like 10 people live here well, who knows <laughs> what is it like maybe with we we don't really get an accurate idea of how many people actually live there but it might literally be like six people so if two people throw their vote to him and then there's this other person like well that that does turn it towards him <laughs> right so that's pretty much it for 40 acre feud anyway uh any any final things about 40 acre feud that you want to talk about before we talk about the worst uh, movie i mean i don't have anything else to say about 40 acre feud but i kind of want to put off talking about girl from tobacco row but i can't anymore <laughs> we got to get to it now we're it's time a uh, girl from tobacco row uh you know not much of a movie to speak of like just an absence of a film uh just so much nothing like i'm gonna <laughs> go ahead and say that i would rather watch nothing i'd rather stare at a blank screen than watch girl from tobacco row again it, it is actively annoying at times like i i told you about sometimes that it was completely infuriating to me the, the bit with the fiddle uh, oh my i wanted to punch someone <laughs> and it's sort of a sequel to white lightning road and white lightning road we had a similar complaint about the strange emptiness of it but that one at least had all of the car stuff yeah uh it's exactly like you said last week or the week before whenever it was this is that but instead of car stuff it's just a ordinary church service it's so much church it's church the movie uh mandatory church the movie like I, you're there and you got your Sunday clothes on and you just got to sit in that and just, uh. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to be here. I don't yeah. want to be in that building with those people. And I don't want to be in this building watching this movie. I, I mean, and it's kind of like, it's layered in that way. And it, I, I, it feels like a bait and switch. It's, it was marketed as an exploitation movie and the opening scene is kind of great. You have snake plain snake again it does yep. seem like it's follow-up to white lightning road although i guess it wasn't because white lightning road technically didn't come out yet oh okay it was made but there were like legal troubles with it so it came out oh. like two years after oh okay for some reason <laughs> yeah the opening of this movie is up until this point it had been the best thing i had ever seen the ormans do uh the first five minutes of this movie are great yeah, you got Snake on the chain gang. And yeah. he he's his uh the, the dude he's chained to has a plot to break out and he's got some stashed money. Yep, he's got this plot that when the bell goes, the the guard will check his watch and wind it, and that takes 20 seconds, and that's what he's gonna leave. And Snake's like, didn't you just listen? The movie's opening thought song is about how this particular guard loves to shoot prisoners who try to escape. Yeah, I mean, they got a lot of uh, songs in this, more than you'd figure. Yeah, but not <laughs> as, aside from the opening song, which kind of rules, 
The yeah, other ones decent. are not good. I think it might be another Furlan Husky song or something, maybe. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Because I know the Mulcahy's show up in this one. The Mulcahy's? <laughs> the, the, the harmonica people. Oh, yeah. They're in this one. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah, so uh, the the breakout starts to happen, but the dude gets shot. His <laughs> his the dude he's chained to, and then everybody mobs the guard, and it's kind of a melee. And it's like, wow, this is pretty hardcore. Yeah, Snake has to fight one guy who warned the guard, and then he does fight him, and then he gets out, and then things stop happening in the film <laughs> permanently. It never happens again. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> technically, there is like a conclusion where there's some violence, but it's still really churchy. Oh, yeah. Like, we cut to these mob guys like, okay, I'm going to explain everything from the beginning. And as soon as he said that, I was like, we're not having any more fun anymore, are we? No. So there's these mob guys. They're also out to get the money that's hidden in this place. And Snake goes to Tobacco Row. And I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's a there's like a really famous trashy novel called tobacco road that this is trying to capitalize on at the time Oh, okay but originally this was called girl from tobacco road they got sued they weren't allowed to call it that so it's girl Mm. from tobacco row and uh it's i mean it's a movie with a poster Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you, you see you've got the poster you've probably seen that you got that lady in really tight pants at the bottom looking over her shoulder she's not in the movie no, I not think a character <laughs> doesn't exist. The, the closest thing is the older daughter who will. Her whole thing is she wants to sleep with everybody, but it's more that she wants her husband to know that she wants to sleep with everyone. Is this Nadine or yeah, Nadine? Nadine, and and that sounds interesting, but it isn't. No, it's really boring because mostly it's uh their dad the. The Reverend, who played by Tex Ritter, who was like, uh, I, I sent you some of his old posters when he was a singing yep. cowboy in the 30s. <laughs> I didn't realize that was the same guy until after I had seen the movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's kind of uh, the the template on which, um, what's his name? Uh, Anton Elgort? An- Ansel El- no, not Ansel Elgort. That, that's that guy. He, he, that's Baby Driver. Um the dude in um, Hail Caesar. I feel like oh, he's kind of directly uh, based on Tex Ritter. Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think I his character that. is is very a young Tex Ritter, not latter day corpulent Tex Ritter. <laughs> yeah, this is latter day corpulent Tex Ritter. He's. <laughs> yeah, this is like a couple of years before he was a Tennessee Republican primary senator. Like oh. He. he um he did not win the election but he he ran for senate in 1970 okay okay uh yeah he plays the preacher who bores us who just gives a full full fucking sermon on screen he's just giving sermons It, it really like it it truly it's it's what makes this movie so aggravating is it really feels like a bait switch like you you're hooked in with a trashy poster that suggests a lot of feuding and (laughs) action and sex and then 
nothing happens after the first five minutes of the movie. You just go to church and you better sit there in church. Sit there in church. Don't you have any fun? There's like the point that made me the most angry. There's that part where he's getting, it seems like he's going to get in a fight with, I guess it's Sheriff, the Sheriff? Uh, Yeah, it's on the Sheriff. No, uh, the Sheriff. It's the Sheriff. And they're like, getting towards each other they're doing like that big cat thing you know they're yeah you know, they're getting their feet up they're like i think we should take this outside and then the reverend is like why don't you regale us with your fiddle music yeah I, I, as the subtitles say slow country music playing <laughs> and it is if it was like a... uh, I got so angry. I was like, if... fuck you, movie. <laughs> fuck you. You are actively <laughs> making things not happen. You are threatening that things will happen in the scene and then you <laughs> cheat the audience out of them happening. Fuck you. <laughs> it's not even like fast hoedown music where these two guys could like get out their aggression in musical form as yeah no it's slow it's it's churchy it's persistently churchy <laughs> and, and like I, in the sheaves. Uh, yeah that's right you got bad like crappy sing-alongs of just church music and like i, I mean the mulcahy's our, our harmonica people, they're kind of a standout because at least that guy has <laughs> that ridiculously fun. huge harmonica. Because he has character and nobody else does. It's just him like bugging his eyes out and looking like a crazy <laughs> person. But it works. Uh, and those people appear in the next one too. Although they didn't shoot new footage for them. They, <laughs> the Mulcahy's re- pre-recorded it and just sent it to the Ormonds to insert in the movie. <laughs> That's funny. In the next one. So, uh, according to the letterbox, uh, Nadine is the girl from Tobacco Row, and the, the, the scripter makes it look like she's the main character, but she's not. I mean, there is there a character, a main character? <laughs> I mean, kind of Snake. Snake is kind of our guy. Yeah, but he, yeah, he he don't like. There's there's <laughs> nothing. Uh, he he's like he's interested in them, and there's the thing like there's Tim Tim Ormond, obviously is the oh. kid, the boy. Okay, I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, um, I mean, it's always him. He's in all of these. <laughs> oh, he. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He's in the the next one too, as the he's, he trains yeah, the swamp kid thing. Yeah, he's he's the same boy in that one, and he was also in uh, uh, White Lightning Road as the boy who always wanted to go on the right things. He's just the same character in all of these. He's just plain Tim. <laughs> yeah, it's Tim who introduces Snake to the church and. Hmm gets the father to accept him even though he's a hex criminal and gives him his brother's clothes and then he does some wood cutting and you do a credit to your brother's and everybody's just falling asleep and it's so boring just nothing happens it it is an like it is an anti-movie by the time the criminals come to actually like do their action scene we don't care I, I had completely just lost in, like I was tuned out by the end. I, I, 
they showed up and snake gets just beat shit <laughs> yeah uh cephas the treasurer he gets beat the fuck out of him and interrogated but no impact well there's like the hitman guy ralph emery blinky who's oh, got the yeah. sunglasses on uh, <laughs> he, i don't know yeah he like, has sunglasses that dude he's like he he was a, a really important uh he was um like a, a grand Ole opry interview guy okay. like notably famously boring <laughs> really and i believe he's the guy whose marriage with skeeter davis was broken up when she was with the script girl mm. <laughs> yeah so i think it was him so you know all, all of these people all involved in these movies <laughs> oh, all right that's that's interesting so I guess, yeah, I mean, the only interesting things about Girl from Tobacco Row are more or less external to the movie. I don't think there's really more to say about it. Like, nothing happens. There they, uh, there's, she... uh, there's a love triangle, sort of. Kind Noah's of. all that interested in anyone, but it, Nadine's into everybody. Nadine's into everybody, and he's into Rita, the younger singing sister, and she's into him, but, well, he has to die, and then all the loot get he gives it to the church with his last breath because boy they sure do need a fan and when you hear the church's budget which you will yeah you will hear it in fucking detail also uh rita is actually in she in real life did marry snake oh okay or earl sinks but yeah the they they did end up being a real married couple. I don't, I don't know if they were already married at this point. I think okay. she was very young. She uh, looked too young for him in this movie. Because uh, like her, her parents are also characters in this movie, uh, Smiley and Kitty Wilson. Like, sure. I, it's it's <laughs> another singing duo. There's so many people who sing in this movie. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they're they're also in it. it a lot of families in these movies. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. I. I, I would say the main interesting thing about this movie is it is uh, sort of where the Ormonds had their crisis of faith because it was on a way on their way to a screening of it that their private plane crashed with all three of them in it. Uh, Ron, June, and Tim. And then, then I guess, as what happens to people sometimes, you kind of find Jesus after that, or they did. Yeah, although... Like they they have their stories about experiencing that, and then in the moment praying, and that you know if Jesus saves them, they will turn their lives around and devote themselves to God, and you know that's pretty consistent through all of them. But their next film that they made—it's <laughs> it's, weird that this is the next one. It's a blowout. It's like all right, we we gotta let's do one last exploitation movie, and. What it feels to me is, and and they do sort of get towards this in the book, and they they mention it that uh, their passion was still films. It wasn't so much church as films. It's just they found a way to keep doing the films while also doing the church stuff. <laughs> they they made the films into church, but it was still exploitation films and. Wow, is Footman ever an exploitation film? But this one, oh, it's exotic nice. ones, exotic ones is just a pure proper exploitation film. It's 
a movie. It has plot. It has characters. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it has stuff that happens in them, and the things that happen in them affect other things in the movie, and and there's like framing with the camera shots sometimes. It, it's it's the least Sears Portrait Studio uh, sort of <laughs> style uh, Ormond movie. Yeah, it it feels like all right. Let's do one proper one. Let's just throw everything in there. Let's do all of it. They didn't really like doing nudity or gore in their movies this movie has nudity this movie has gore Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) they they just they throw it all in there and it's still distinctly an ormond film you know it's still got all of their people in it (laughs) you got the mulcay he's showing up and blowing some harmonica (laughs) yep you've got uh stopping the story to do a performance of whatever current thing they're this movie is interested in which is exotic dancing and there are some truly talented people here mm-hmm. and uh, uh well especially obviously georgette dante as titania who the mean is girl who i love oh, i love her she's incredible and she's just the real deal uh yeah. real tough lady uh, they they interview her quite a bit in the book and she's fascinating uh she says that she started stripping as a midget stripper at five what in a traveling carnival uh she claims to have killed multiple people in self-defense over the years uh and and she believe that i think maybe yeah she she's got tons of backstage stories that all sound pretty authentic uh she is the one who killed the chicken and she actually because that it's a thing that she had to do in her carnival past. She had to do a geek act and step in for the geek because he drank himself to death one time. Oh Jesus! Okay. <laughs> so she had a pretty wild life. This is her at twenty. Holy shit! She <laughs> and looks and acts she's, like ooh, the the seasoned. mama of the troop. Oh yeah, she uh, she's the veteran, and yeah, yep. she just she oozes confidence. Uh, she says that she did sleep with Sleepy Labeef, but like years later, not on the set of the movie. <laughs> Sleepy Labeef being the swamp thing. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Sleepy Labeef. Yeah, again, that's that's the other thing. There's still all country singers who are in the Sleepy Labeef was a rockabilly guy. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was really tall, so they're like, "All right, you're six foot six. Can you be our monster?" Well. Get some monster teeth made for you. <laughs> oh, the monster uh, costume. I- I'm kind of glad they didn't really go with the costume because it would have it would have been terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's just he's a beast man. He he's he's a feral man. Bobble. Yeah, he's one of those dudes. Uh, Except he's living not... out in the bayou. Yeah, he's not shrieking about the Bible. He's just shrieking. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's funny. It's a New Orleans film, but there's no one from New Orleans in it, and it's mostly <laughs> shot in Nashville. Uh, it's mostly Nashville people, of course. Uh, that That's funny, because the, the opening crawl, which is actually just, re- the footage is just repeated in the closing crawl, really made me want to go to New Orleans. I've, I've never been, but like... Yeah, they, they went and got some... Period. Well, I mean, pretty much any time other than, well, yeah, post post Katrina, there's there's a lot of problems there. Yeah. 
Uh, and I mean, leading up to Katrina, the <laughs> endemic problems that caused it. But yeah. a, a jazz mecca and a food mecca, mm -hmm. if, if you're into it. Although seafood's a big part of that. And obviously yeah. I'm allergic, so no, no real deal there for me. But Cajun cooking, mm, some good Cajun spice. Hef. Oh, man. But uh, <laughs> I mean, they did do like there is real footage of New Orleans. They went and got a bunch of exterior footage. It's just none of that is where they actually are. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's mostly shot on a set, you know, the 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 strip joint set. Mm -hmm. So this one's actually, even though it has a plot, it's actually kind of light on plot, too. Um, they all are. I mean, that's the thing that still makes it very much an Ormond film. It's still just a variety show. You're going to have a bunch of people getting up and dancing and singing. Yep. And and some of the people who are dancing and singing get to be characters for the in-between act stuff. I mean, that's mostly who our characters are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, Including June Ormond herself. She's oh. um, uh, Bunny. Oh, the she's she's the old lady. Yeah, the lady who runs the place. Mm -hmm. The one who does the the dance routine with the word LSD written on her butt. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh. And and of course Ron Ormond is also in it. Uh, this one he's the he's Nemo the, the oh, boss. The, the the mob he's also a mob boss in addition to being a owner of a club and a guy who commissions hunting the swamp thing. They, yeah. I feel like they just have this guy doing too many things. They they didn't need the mob angle. Well, he's the director. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, the the dude who goes after the swamp thing, the guy Swamper at the beginning, who's in the boat. Yeah. You know, uh, that's Johnny Cash's guitarist. No shit. Luther Perkins. He's like a fucking legend. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> crazy so yeah the basic plot is nemo the director of the strip club decides his act i guess just needs a monster from the swamp so they go he hires this guy to catch him and he does and then that doesn't happen for like a million years oh yeah he does mostly eventually. we just yeah mostly we're just hanging out in the swamp or no, hanging out in the strip club watching both them practice and them have interpersonal dramas because Titania has beef with who's the new girl? Oh gosh, I don't recall her name, but yeah, she has beef with the new girl because the new girl is new and Titania's the mean girl. She's the classic. I I think it's Effie. Is it Effie, maybe. I, I I honestly I do not know. Yeah, they, they have this whole thing. She auditions. They they go up. It's like, okay, well, go up to the uh, go up to the green room, which has a big bed in it, and pick out something sexy from the closet. But don't pick out any of Titania's clothes. She'll fucking kill you. Right, and then you know <laughs> she touches one of her dresses, and it's a whole thing. And they're enemies for the yeah. rest of the movie. Obviously, yeah. Georgette or Titania has that fucking incredible fire act oh which yeah is truly impressive mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it's she's, just a real thing she did <laughs> yeah she, she's got a few fire acts she's got like one where like her titty tassels are on fire she's spinning them around 
she's like doing a handstand and drinking a glass of water while upside down without using her hands and Unreal. I mean, she's a real performer. Uh, she's a, just a genuine born carnival performer. And she was like really dedicated to burlesque. Mm. Like uh, it, she took it very seriously. It shows. Uh, I, they, they say something about uh, on, on the set, you know, she'd never been in a movie before. She'd never had to memorize lines. So she, uh, because she takes it very seriously, she memorized not just her lines, she memorized the entire script. So if anyone didn't have their lines, she was who they went to. You know, I was that person <laughs> in all the uh, school plays I did, even though I only ever played like the biggest parts. I'd have like maybe five lines of my own, if that. But somehow I just memorized the whole script anyway. I don't hmm. know why. Oh, sorry, I lost you. No, I'm just waiting oh, okay. for you to continue. Yeah, yeah. Um so, so about halfway through, they decide, okay, let's get off our butts and get the Swamp Thing now. And it, it's kind of a clusterfuck. The Swamp Thing kills all the unnamed people who are hunting after it. Uh, there's that guy, uh, Coke, I think, is the dude whose arm gets ripped off and he gets beaten to death with it. That's yeah, a great scene. Yeah, I love scene. that bit. Swamp Thing just, like, takes his arm off and starts clubbing him with it. Pretty major gore for early ormonds they never really did gore before this but they'll sure do some after it oh really after the christian well well, well i mean considering I, what our next film is this is what i'm saying the next film after this yeah. <laughs> have you seen it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's some gore yeah uh the yeah he he fucking demolishes that guy with his own arm it's pretty funny uh that guy also is in the next film he's the commissar oh okay cool cool um but they do manage to catch him and i guess we just time skip to after they've trained him a bunch i don't Uh, think they really train him they just put him in a cage there's just he's got a cage on he sort of becomes a background prop for most of the dancers, and then they'll throw a chicken in for him to bite the head off of occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he he is. You're right. He isn't trained. He just listens to Timmy, and that's about it. And Timmy like he likes Timmy, and he likes uh, the the nice girl, the new girl. I think it's Effie. I, I think it probably is. Um, yeah, her song calms him down when he's freaking out, but. Uh, from the very first performance that we see of him, we see that he we already can see that he can rock the cage and bend the bars. So it's like, hmm, I wonder if he'll get out. It's like a mini King Kong act. Uh, you know, it's it's really setting up. We know exactly where this is going. Uh, and Titania immediately is antagonistic to him and just lighting his cage on fire. And uh, the, you know where it's gonna gonna lead and it leads there uh, she gets her tits ripped off yeah <laughs> so he gets out because of course he gets out and you can't have this movie without the guy getting out of the cage necessarily yeah uh he he uh runs on a warpath but you know he only gets her because this is you know she's the evil one yeah. <laughs> so what i love about it is at the end of the movie they don't even catch him. They don't even subdue him or anything. He, They don't catch him. He escapes. He killed her. Um, it's hinted that he's killing other people, maybe, or maybe he went back to the bayou. 
Yeah, I mean, he just gets away. He, they're not gonna follow him. They're they they don't have a a, a director in New Orleans to film scenes with him getting away. Yeah, <laughs> police gonna go after him. Come on. No, no, it's no, it's fine. It's fine. We don't got to worry about it. He got out. Everybody who lived maybe learned a lesson. Yeah. Uh, and I, this one's easily my favorite. Oh, for you sure. know, as a, I, I would say that the next one is extremely entertaining and is the one I laughed the hardest at by far. But this one is just the best made. This is the one that like it's recommendable as just a solidly well-made exploitation film. It's got everything you'd kind of want to have in it. Yeah. Uh, the characters are fun. Uh I, like I'm never bored, even when we go through all of the silly performances. Even when the Mulcays showed up again, it's like eh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> no, I was happy to see him. It's like, oh hey, these guys are in a real-ish movie. I sort of wish they'd showed up in the next one as yeah. well. <laughs> as I said, they should have been in all four of them. They should have been one of the performers in Forty Acre Feud. They mm -hmm. would have fit in just fine, and then they could be dead in a ditch. In if footmen tire you. What will horses do? Let's move on to that one. I, Work of art. Accidental art. I will say, okay, <laughs> I, I agree that the uh, Exotic Ones is the best movie, but this is the one I had the most fun with. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I laughed my ass off from beginning to end with this movie. It's hysterical, but it's not supposed to be. It's supposed no. to be terrifying. <laughs> like, this is a movie that was literally made for churches. Do you know why it's so short? Why is it so short? They couldn't have it more than like 52, 53 ish minutes. It couldn't, it could only be one reel because they knew if they were going to be sending it out to churches, they wouldn't be able to have people change reels. That makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's an, an adaptation of an existing sermon. They had run into this guy, Estes Perkle, and seen him perform the sermon. And they're like, let's do a movie version of it. And he was looking for someone to do a movie with. He he wanted to, you know, expand his reach. <laughs> and he found the Ormans or they found him. <laughs> I mean, it's true serendipity because it's a pure exploitation film. It's just it's using religion and the uh i, I mean th there are previous versions of it like he had released this sermon on lp a couple times oh. like he, there were records of him <laughs> performing this this sermon there's a comic book <laughs> it's like a fucking chick tract <laughs> I <laughs> I just love that like they reenact all the stuff that he the wild stuff he says like if Alex Jones had Muppets Muppet frogs being gay that's what this that's what this would be like well it's like uh a, one of those YouTube supercuts of Alex Jones it's it's like someone doing an 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 Infowars animated, you know, where they just put in silly crap, like visualize the stuff that's happening. It, it feels like that. And it's amazing that when you do that, I suppose, you know, they, they did send this out to churches and it worked to some extent. People were 
traumatized by it for years because it got shown in like sunday schools oh my god <laughs> oh, little timmy this could be you with bamboo sticking through your ears i mean that's the really incredible shit is just the severe violence toward children is maybe the prime focus of the movie it's what most of it is about uh but they're just you know it's a uh, Perkle's own kid, Greg, uh, who who does a commentary on the desk. Oh, uh, he's he's the one who gets beheaded at the end. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait till we get to that kid. <laughs> that kid's pretty funny, and uh, it's uh, the, there's of course also the yeah the bamboo kid the <laughs> can't hear the word of Christ. And we we want to make sure that he's never allowed to hear the word of Christ again. So they're going to deafen him by putting a bamboo stick in his ear but they just put it completely through his head <laughs> and the kids Which, there he's just i mean that would just kill him no it just makes him throw up a bunch uh, so th they had some background on that in the book apparently like his dad the that kid's dad was also some baptist minister a different one okay <laughs> and uh i think he they had him eat a bunch of food right before like it was right after lunch and they're like rubbing his stomach and talking in his ear droning on for quite a bit to like make him sick before the scene <laughs> wild stuff <laughs> the acting in this is really a miracle uh, <laughs> altogether i mean estes himself it's not there's no charm to the performance. It's not like a fire and brimstone sermon. I mean, it is a fire and brimstone sermon, but it's delivered like you're selling insurance. It's delivered like infomercial style. It's delivered like uh, Cephas from the last one giving the church's budget report. Yeah, it's a budget report. Well, because also this is something we, it's going to happen in 24 months. Uh, <laughs> this is 1973, communists are going to take over America. I mean, it's it's already done. <laughs> How long is it going to take them to spread across the country when they do decide to? They've got these people with long hair and they've got these people uh asking for rights uh it, it, in the comic version there there's a few panels of the comic version included in the book and it shows the one of the areas of footmen it shows uh anti-war protesters and civil rights protesters as specifically those are the people who are uh the footmen Oh, yeah. So everybody, he refers to basically every attack on our on good Christian values as a footman. <laughs> yeah. uh, globalists uh, in, in the <laughs> Alex Jones. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> they're the globalists. So, yeah, he they're they're all, you know, they're paid actors or whatever. It's it's that same kind of shit. But <laughs> I one of the things is the the communists i they're, love the communists the commie nazis <laughs> uh they're they're in they're in nazi uniforms for the most part yep. you've got the commissar who was the guy who got beaten to death with his own arm in the previous one <laughs> and there's of course uh comrade teacher <gasps> comrade is the one who makes me laugh the most <laughs> comrade teacher's whole uh classroom thing it's so good yeah i mean it is a youtube atheist argument it's classic he, he literally says all right children 
You just prayed to Jesus for candy, but where is your candy? Jesus cannot give you the candy, but Fidel can. That's another really bizarre thing, is that Fidel Castro is worshipped as a deity, which is just... That's bonkers. Yeah, it's such a Christian-centric view of how politics work. It's it's very strange that it's very magical thinking, <laughs> the, the way they sort of view other political systems, or actual, any political system, I guess. Well, that's something actually the Republicans even do today, is like they no, yeah, idolize totally. their leaders, so they think they're attacking the left by attacking the left's leaders, when most of the left are like, yeah, we don't like this guy either. Joel Biden. <laughs> yeah. Skellin man, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that sort of... Th- they, I mean, I, I'm sure there are people who did really worship Fidel Castro because he was a revolutionary oh. hero and all of that. But I don't feel like he ever took the place of a deity for anyone. No. That just doesn't seem realistic. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're literally, he, he becomes the new god. He takes the place of worship. They feel that it's this sort of condition where it's expected that there is this one-to-one thing if there isn't a deity you need something to replace it with yeah which of course they've decided that the communists have decided that it's fidel castro (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean it's because in a like communism was explicitly non-religious and it was sort of uh actively against religion and sort of atheistic but it's also like it was the the intent was to be not really forcing people to believe in anything just like it's it's not a part of what we care about it's like it's just not not on our agenda yeah (laughs) (laughs) who cares uh but it's it's the sole focus of this punishing people who are christian that's like exclusively what communism is about based on this film oh yeah and i love the the christians who get punished uh because they're they're you can tell that these are just regular people who attended the service that week and it's like hey do you want to do something fun with us this is just a bunch of baptists who are running around and like okay ron ormond is making us run to the other side of the church where a bunch of people are lying on the ground with ketchup on them and they've been murdered by the communists (laughs) (laughs) you guys sit on your patio and these communists are coming they're going to take away your children and yeah and it's like they eventually look a little bit shocked but until the communists actually take the children they just are like communist weird yeah there's no internalization it it is entirely like okay this isn't the next thing we're directed to do and i mean (laughs) if we need to react you're gonna have to put it in the script you're gonna have to tell us to react uh it's it's yeah there's just something sort of weirdly magical about how incredibly amateur the acting is how it's it's almost otherworldly watching it, it like th- that opening part where you have them all being marched through the forest and uh the communists are just like herding a group of religious people it kind of just feels like a behind the scenes scene just all of these people being herded and <laughs> they look like sheep they they are people who need to be herded <laughs> Yeah, they uh, they don't look like they 
are particularly upset about where they're they are it's more like their just reaction is like oh we're going this way now yeah the the uh the the sheep sheep dog is like it's telling us to go this way it's pointing that way like okay everybody else is moving that way i suppose i should move that way uh it's it's strange it's just got a weird feel to it (laughs) and it's the same thing that you're seeing when they're looking at Perkle and he's saying the most insane things things that (laughs) should be obviously provably wrong for one and are also just completely illogical and then there are places where it's like wait why is that bad (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah the sex teacher (laughs) i love the sex teacher he's got slightly long hair so you know he's wrong and he's kind of like um who's the main character you don't think there's oh, going to be a main character, but she ends up being uh, a main character. June or Judy or something like that. June. I think it might be Judy. Yeah. Uh, her, like her boyfriend who he's not into Christianity. Babe. <laughs> he drops her off at church. He's like, I'm a lover, not a Christian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mutually exclusive. <laughs> but Well, apparently, yes. <laughs> Baptists don't go down. Uh, yeah, and she—it's—it's it's her like flashing back to him and being modern woman. Yeah. Like uh, the the movie is about him personally, like Estes talking to her personally and her feeling bad about the choices she made because she is helping the footmen. Yeah. So. What's interesting about this is he's using the fact that the communists will do all these horrible things to Christians to convince you to become a Christian. I'm just like, Estes, buddy, you made this sound like a really bad idea, actually. Yeah, because the the problem seems to be exclusively about Christianity. Because there's that part where uh, Tim Ormond, I think, is uh, uh, caught by them and he has to denounce christianity and he does oh yeah it's like and and like i'm also not a capitalist and it's like well that doesn't really matter that much and like it kind of seems like that's the more important (laughs) yeah yeah he's like wait so if i say i'm not christian then i don't have to get executed i just gotta say i'm not a christian and that's good enough and they're like yep so he signs the forms and they're like don't do it don't do it right his parents won't they're like really uh for some reason they they refuse to be like no uh we we have to stand firm and say that we're christian uh yeah that's that's a big thing you have to do when you're christian yeah it's it's absolutely necessary so uh he he, like oh right now you have to execute your mother (laughs) always with the (laughs) very mustache twirling it's like 20s style villains mm-hmm. i got the one dude with like the killer crazy sideburns and all the chest hair yeah i mean they're all the same guy to me they're, yeah well they, they are actually all the same guy i think they're a couple different people because i know uh the commissar and uh, uh comrade teacher are two different dudes but they all they're kind of all dressed the same they're all vaguely ethnic they didn't know what kind of they didn't know how to do a russian accent which is part of it but i thought that they were supposed to be cubans because of the 
<laughs> the bullshit about them worshiping Castro as a god. Because if they're not Cubans, why Castro? Because he is the one the Americans are currently afraid of. I mean, I guess. But I mean, this is already 1971. I guess this. Oh, yeah. This sermon had been around for a few years, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, okay. The sermon was first held on January 31st, 1968. Oh, okay. Uh, hmm. But yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's so insane. It's so much, so many scenes of just the camera panning across tons of dead children in the streets. It was just like, oh, yeah. Very... Get used to seeing children dead in the streets every morning because the communists don't move bodies, I guess. I mean, I, there's so much about it that doesn't really make any real sense and that I don't understand the logic of his reasoning for it. I, my favorite has to be the internment camps where they have the radio droning. <laughs> Communism is good. Christianity is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, of course... Cultists, cults do this, but they have the radio actually, you know, having teachings so that they're brainwashing people with a point. Right. And I mean, usually it's, this is more a thing that, again, it's, well, the the enemies are doing it, so we should do it. It's a, this is a thing <laughs> the CIA did. Oh, yeah. Not not really a thing that I'm aware of uh, <laughs> even Stalin doing. Stalin was uh, extremely evil and killed tons of people, but it wasn't really in the streets like this. And it wasn't really. <laughs> I, it, this is just such a weird cartoon version of all of it. Yeah, like his version. He says that in 15 minutes, the horsemen are going to be able to swarm across America and attack everybody. As if America doesn't have more guns per capita than anybody else in the world. Well, I mean, that's uh, there. That I think that's part of it is that they're stockpiling all these weapons, but it's also mm-hmm. why the right needs to stockpile weapons. And I mean, yeah, I, I what's what's most striking to me is how much this is the same rhetoric. It, like this is what Alex Jones says these days. It's almost identical. Like you just need to change yep. a few words around. It's just. The the amazing part is where he's like, we'll lose our incredible liberties of a 40-hour work week and uh, <laughs> guaranteed weekend and three weeks of paid vacation a year. And it's like, you guys don't have any of that anymore. That's all gone. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the left doing that. That was the right. <laughs> I'm going to teach you the seven erotic zones of a woman. Oh yeah, and they'll teach you even worse things than that. They'll teach even worse things than that. Uh, yeah, Perkle. He, it, it is amazing how little charm he has. I mean, he's got. He he kind of looks like Howdy Doody. Uh, <laughs> he he's got sort of a haunted puppet feel to him, but <laughs> it's not like there. There's no real. <sighs> The enthusiasm isn't like a fire and brimstone sort of enthusiasm. It doesn't no. have that kind of Alex Jones fire to it. Even it's like he's selling supplements. Uh, he, he could be like, <laughs> you know, uh, offering to buy gold. It, it would all be the same voice. <laughs> if you don't, and if you don't dust up your 
carpets with vacuum dust, the communists will kill your babies. Try the new Perkle tactical bath. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a, it's there's such a strange vibe to it. And of course, you know, it all culminates in June having her major come to God moment because. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But before that, though, I want hmm. to talk about the decapitation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The decapitation is incredible because uh, th- that's one of the ones that's been boiling for a while. They've talked to this kid about how he's needed. He- he's going to have to stand up for Jesus. <laughs> yeah and the soldiers are like here's a picture of your jesus christ i put him on the floor i want you to step on him it's completely the witch hammer thing it's the (laughs) the the exact same accusations which is so weird because oh my god it is too yeah and like why would it even matter but he refuses to and his you know that iconic line reading of jesus you were there for me when I needed you, and so I'm gonna be <laughs> good for you. <laughs> See, I like you died for me, so it's my turn to return the favor. Which is so insane for like an eight year old to be saying, and they <laughs> fucking machete his head off. Uh, it goes flying. Uh, so this is like Perkle's own kid, uh, and okay. Uh, originally, they had wanted to. Uh, have his shirt off and have like a bunch of like put a bunch of blood on him and stuff but perkle wouldn't allow it because he doesn't feel that uh people should ever have their shirt off in public anyone ever he's like a never nude <laughs> it's like one of his things but, but like he could spread the horror of it and the communists will take off your no, shirts no, unacceptable but no you can't do it he's 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 his, his son man won't do it it's his son so he, he oh. never couldn't possibly no not upon no no, oh. no chance yeah weird uh that's weird <laughs> just um, the, the adding the the never nude label to uh, layer to it really did <laughs> and I'm like oh that's funny that's interesting yeah so yeah, the uh, climax, such as it is. Yeah, she she comes to God. She's been thinking about all of this, and she's realized that uh, the revival. She's going to be part of the revival that they need, so that this doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and she has to, th- and like he's talking directly to her, and like saying, "Will you come to God? Will you come?" Will you come? Will you come? There's no way. Like I've been thinking about it because that it's haunting, and he says it like six <laughs> times at the end of the movie, just staring dead down the barrel of the camera. Yep, and it's awful. And I don't think there's any way you say that line that doesn't sound horrible. I've been trying to think of a way to say it that's not awful, and I can't come up with one. <laughs> Will you come up with a way to make that line sound palatable? Like, Will you come? <laughs> will you come <laughs> will you come we come uh yeah no it's just gross and it is it's just like the communism is good give up <laughs> christianity is stupid christianity is stupid it's him doing will you come will you come Will you come? <laughs> I'm like, ew, stop it. <laughs> You're grossing me up, man. 
my my immediate reaction to this is no and i might never come again thank you very much estes he's like ew no <laughs> crows yeah a, a hell of a thing though i mean it, it is one of these movies that to me is practically unrateable it's an incredible entertainment but it's also hellish and vile like it is a bad mm. thing <laughs> It's yeah, a, an extremely evil propaganda film that was active as a propaganda film for years. But it's so fucking funny, it's though. Hilarious. I like. I I do suspect that probably um, this is probably something that Alex Jones was brought up on. You know, it, it feels oh, probably it, it's the right era for him to have been grown up seeing it. Yeah, just what a thing. Uh, and it, it is the Ormonds making an exploitation film. Like, they are doing the exploitation film, and the rest of it is Perkle. Like, it, it's the existing Perkle text. They're just giving it the flavor. <laughs> and yep. in that sense, it is maybe their greatest achievement, because it's <laughs> what a thing it is. But you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I ended up rating it three out of five stars but that is not an endorsement i gave it like a. that's two. just how much i enjoyed it i gave it like a two but it could be a five it could be a zero There's like yeah all of them are applicable i mean <laughs> yep i i feel it's a must see but it's also a must see of the sort that like with context like mm-hmm. if if you are one of the sheep being herded maybe it's not something good to uh look at you 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 would need to come at it with a critical eye (laughs) i I just love whenever he says something wild and it cut it pans to the audience and it's like oh my oh my favorite babies will be dead in the streets Hmm, that that amazing one where they're talking about the lady being tied to two jeeps and being pulled apart right and there's that little girl in the front row and she's just grinning it's like so (laughs) funny to her just that that is one of like i said it's magical seeing real people reacting to the sermon in real time because they're it's such an array of responses (laughs) Uh, but yeah i mean it's an incredible thing it's it's something that i would love to watch with groups of people it's definitely something that we have to show folks yeah i mean it's it's so weird so fucking nuts uh, just with the caveat of uh by the way we don't believe or endorse anything this guy says <laughs> i mean that's pretty obvious uh he, yeah, he's uh, just such a yeah it's it's fascinating and the next one in the set is also a perkle ormond thing the burning hell is it's his sermon about what hell will be like so i imagine it's going to be a lot like this i wonder if he does end up going into full hellfire and brimstone i kind of doubt it uh i mean i don't think that i mean that just doesn't seem to be his style uh i kind of can't imagine him getting worked up (laughs) no but yeah several of the other ones are him like the next few because the burning hell and also the believer's heaven is like the companion film it's what heaven's gonna be like but cool uh the christianity is stupid like that song came out <laughs> like there there was a negative land song that sampled that which is totally <laughs> rad uh from their album helter stupid 
and uh, <laughs> it came out and he tried to sue like i think he did sue them over it <laughs> but i think they they were able to uh get away with it with fair use because it's a hilarious <laughs> sample come on man you said it christianity is stupid. <laughs> christianity is stupid christianity is stupid Communism we are going good. to give we up. are going to stab sticks through your brain and take off your head why your religion's stupid yeah i mean what a i i guess that's the other thing is if he were to provide anything that were a realistic argument it would be dangerous to his own argument there, there's no real yeah. way to reconcile reality and again it's the same way any populist or populist demagogue phrases an argument because it's just eh, you you need to completely sell the lie because any break yeah. in the lie gives solace to your enemy i guess yeah i mean like he almost he kind of hurts his own argument because when he says pray to jesus for candy but he won't give it to you and fidel castro will and that's why jesus is better yeah which is like, i mean <laughs> it is framed as an argument to children and i guess this was heavily shown in sunday schools but it was never originally intended to be a movie for children with the amount of violence it has in it like that was not the yeah. intent it's just it is so aimed at a childlike mentality mm. that it i mean that's how it found its place yeah, <laughs> it was shown in sunday school <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah it's, it's an just... incredible thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, I guess I guess that's the next four Ormans. Yeah, uh, we have some interesting stuff. We have maybe the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. It's a contender, anyway. I've seen worse. It's just there's real absence of good in it. There's there's mm. not much. Uh, it's girlfriend tobacco road. Yeah, I mean it's just not much of a thing. Uh, but the others are decent. I really like the exotic ones. I think the exotic ones yeah. is good solid movie i think i think it's good uh and i think you'll definitely get entertained by what men tire you what will horses do it's just a hell of a thing it's it is truly must see so do you have any last thoughts on uh the next four the those next four ormans before we close for this week with uh part three yeah christianity is stupid (laughs) communism is good give up and we're back for part three, The Watch Stacks, where we're talking about the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and decide what we're going to cover next week. All right. We've got uh, lots of weirdly shaped heads on this one. Uh, I was kind of on an, I was really on an aliens kick. A lot okay. of alien invader movies. Um it's kind of following a theme through a bunch of these. I mean, do you think the disclosure stuff kind of in the air, I guess I'm thinking about aliens. And then obviously with footmen, the invasion concept mm. is on my mind. Uh, but first up is Invaders from Mars, a real classic of the genre, early 50s. Uh, a Red Scare movie, but not obliquely or not... Uh, outwardly a red scare movie kind of a metaphorical one okay so it's this this kid his dad's an important scientist and 
one night he's stargazing out his back uh, out, out with a telescope out of the backyard and a UFO crashes just uh, beyond the back fence. Oh, cool. So his dad goes to see what the thing is and he comes back and he's not the same. Uh-oh. And other people go and they come back and they just they they come back changed. They're they're not acting like themselves anymore and his mother gets replaced and there's like a girl in the neighborhood gets replaced and she goes and she burns her own house down. Oh wow, okay. So like the aliens are replacing people with facsimiles or I guess they're not really replacing them. They're putting a control chip in their brain. And then when they're done with them, they can just like set it off and blow up their head. Oh, that's uh, aliens are jerks. Yeah. So they're like brainwashing people and having them go commit acts of sabotage against, uh, you know, the American government, which you, you can sort of see how this has a bit of a red scare element to it. Right. Mm. Yeah. If you see something, say something about yeah. aliens. And it's all through or the eyes. Or anything else that's a threat to America. I'm just saying. But And it's uh, all through the eyes of just this kid. You know, it is him. It is uh, a child perspective of the Red Scare era and just sort of how you're maybe expected to see your parents suddenly become evil communists overnight and like this is <laughs> a, a sort of a nightmare of what you uh the way uh the media is treating this stuff and then you've also got of course aliens in the mix and it is literally a movie that involves a nightmare but it's sort of, of elliptical in a way okay uh but yeah it's cool uh it, it's sort of eerie and it does have a pretty clear uh a political element to it it's it's very minimal and it's just sort of clearly playing with those tropes but playing it through the child's eyes all right uh sort of uh spiritually related to that next is war of the worlds the next century oh so there's the next one by piotr shulkin from the golem set Oh, right, right. Uh, the Apocalypse Tetralogy. Uh, it's You're familiar with the original H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, right? Um, I, I haven't read it, or I don't think I've even seen a movie, but mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of the beats. I know how the aliens are defeated in the end. I know they've got the tripod ships. Yeah, I mean, it's not um, really any of that stuff. I mean, just the basic concept of uh, aliens come down and you sort of see it through the media and uh, all of that this the the concept of this one is it's present day you know it's taking okay. place in 1999 rather than in 1899 cuz i think the original is 1899 right right that's cool and they it, it's just an invasion of poland and they're tiny you know the martians they're little guys and they're really mean spirited. They like to break stuff. They're they're oh. very full of hate, and they just like to destroy things. And <laughs> for some reason, you know, the minute they touch down, somehow there's just tons and tons of willing collaborators who just are totally glad with getting a chance to uh, put their boot on their neighbor's uh, neck for some reason. And I mean, there's clearly no <laughs> precedent for that in Polish history, right? 
Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's it's pretty interesting. It's a very clear dissection of the the memories of the Holocaust. You know, Auschwitz is in Poland. Yeah. It, it's it's uh looking at all of that through the lens of an alien invasion and you have this guy who's a populist he's a and like like i said with perkle he's an alex jones type he's okay an, he he's a an independent journalist he's got his own you know cool populist news show where he wears a wig and he yells things at the camera and you know people <laughs> think he's a pretty cool guy and it turns out the martians they like him too they're a big fan they really like his optimism we found your hypothesis about the frogs becoming homosexual very interesting. So he comes into work and they've got a new script for him. It's like, well, this is what we want you to say. You're going to support the aliens and you're going to uh, make sure that everybody else knows how to support them. And you're going to follow this uh, line of inquiry and everything. And He's a little resistant, but he goes through with it. And that night they they show up. They put his wife in a body bag and they take her away and uh, they put like a cattle tag on his ear. He's like, this is a friendship tag. And this means that you have a right to life. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh. and yeah, and it's it's I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that's pretty potently about the Holocaust and it's it's pretty heavy. And it's just him uh, realizing the the dangers of uh his his own profession the the importance of the media and the responsibility of the media but it's also much like Gollum it's this nightmare of uh dystopia just suddenly happening around you it's right before new year's 1999 and it's like it's i, I think it's just before christmas and they land and just everything suddenly changes overnight and uh, everybody's an asshole. Suddenly there's all these willing collaborators who have become the supervillains they were always waiting to be. Hmm. It's a hell of a fucking thing. It's really good. It's Yeah. I still think about Gollum all the time. So if that's any, if this is as good as that, then uh, mm -hmm. I'm definitely interested. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's better. Uh, I, I'd oh. say it's a an an even better one, and I really liked oh. Gollum as well. Okay. Uh, next up's one we both watched: Shin Ultraman. It's another alien invasion movie of a sort. It, and it's also well, yes, political. It yes, it is. <laughs> and it's also fucking crazy ass kaiju fights. It's pretty great. I the the effects for the kaiju fights are so good. They really capture it. I love how much they made everything feel like a real rubber suit monster even though there are things that are cg on it that obviously cannot possibly be uh, a person in a suit yeah like like that whole everything with that drill monster the drill monster was awesome yeah that thing was so cool and it it really captures the spirit of the original ultra q ultraman tv series uh from my understanding it does have a lot of the original stuff i I've been watching Ultra Q, but I haven't watched any of the Ultraman season yet. Uh, I love the camera when when it's not doing the kaiju fights, but it's just like humans on the ground doing human shit. It's like, it makes me think of if uh, Doris Wishman did the Ipcris file. Yeah, there's a lot of just looking at chairs. You're, you're behind chairs, you're uh, lurking down under chairs, a lot of shots up at people under tables. <laughs> yeah. my favorite is when they attached uh 
the camera to the end of a remote control. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hanging off the end. Yeah, it, it showy stuff. But I, mm-hmm. I do appreciate how political it is, that it's sort of about government bureaucracy and it's also about the way people uh, will just follow leaders and uh, uh, that uh, humans will go after a strong man and try to... Because uh, humans, are, the, the government very quickly goes along with the bad guy in this. Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, just sign this form. Um, you can do your life exactly the way you did before, but you just have to recognize me as a super transcendent celestial god being. And, I mean, I had just watched War of the Worlds the Next Century the previous night, so it's eerie how much that kind of echoes with it. Oh. And, you know, Japan also sort of involved in world war ii on that side yeah they they showed up they were there they got involved they did some things so it's interesting i i think it is a strangely political movie not as clearly as much as uh, shin godzilla which is totally about fukushima and government bureauc- bureaucratic uh over over bureaucratic reactions allowing a problem to literally continually evolve into more dangerous states and this is, has some of that. I mean, it's written by the Evangelion guy. It's the uh, yeah. same director. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Next is The Hourglass Sanatorium. Ooh. Oh, it's a, it's, this is a heck of a thing. So there's, this is based on a novel from the 40s. Okay. Or maybe, I guess it's 30s. Or, or, yeah. Uh, also related, this is a Polish film. Uh, the guy who wrote the novel was murdered by Nazis in the Polish ghetto uh, during World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an extremely Jewish story. It's uh, a, a lot about Jewish identity and uh, specifically the identity, uh, the life within the Polish ghetto in the 30s and sort of heavily informed by that. It's about this guy's dad. And so the the plot is there's this guy, he, he is coming to see his dad who lives in or is being taken care of in this sanatorium, just off in the middle of nowhere. And he gets there, okay. and the place is just this rotting husk of a building. There's, it's it's totally destroyed. But you know, he finds his way in, and uh, he starts looking around. And mostly, it's wrecked. There's no one that he can find. But he's calling for help, and finally, some lady shows up. She's a nurse. She's like, everyone's asleep. Uh, that's that's all anyone does here. We sleep because this place is, it kind of exists in a dream space. Oh. So okay. he finally gets to talk to the doctor and the doctor's like, your father is dead. And also he's dying and he uh, is currently not dying and he's not dead. And we're going to let him sleep and we'll see how it works out. And I think maybe you should lie down and sleep because that's really all anybody does here. And, uh, you know, you, you maybe you'll learn some stuff and things will be better. So, so hold on. He's Schrodinger's dead father. Yeah, yeah kind of. But I mean, they're okay. they're in the room with him, and he's dead, but he's not dead, and he's alive, and he's sleeping. Uh, the 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 guy's like, so wait, so he's dead, and he's not dead. And it's like, mm, you don't understand. 
<laughs> and uh, there, there's like he looks out the window and he sees himself arriving. He's like, no, we're we're behind time by a certain interval, so we can kind of use that liminal space uh, between what has happened and what hasn't happened, and uh, just sort of live within it. So the whole place is a dream space, and he navigates it like a dream, but he's traveling through his own past as well as his father's. Okay. So his father fought in like the Napoleonic Wars, so there's like sequences where he is like it's him going through the sanatorium in in a technical uh-huh. sense but the sanatorium is not a logical physical space it's a dream space so you know you go up a ladder into an apartment that's inside of a building after talking to a bunch of people who are in bed but then they start singing and then they're in church and then they're outside in the ghetto and they put a ladder up to peep at this woman he goes up the ladder and he climbs in the window and then it's uh, the Infanta uh, in abdication. and uh, The conductor, the train conductor comes by and he's looking for tickets. So he has to get under the bed and <laughs> he's crawling along under the bed, but it's the undercarriage of a train. And uh, there's like some dusty books and he was like, oh shit, I could use these glass eyes. And then it's, he's under a bookcase <laughs> and the bookcase is also a staircase and he climbs out through it. And then he's in the attic of his childhood home with his dad. And they kind of bond for a while. And <laughs> This is just like five minutes of the movie. That That's like, it just moves like that everywhere. It's uh, very strange. Like there, there's sort of no way to really explain it. Uh, <laughs> it's not like it, it, it doesn't have the contours of a plot. Okay. It it has the um, contours of a dream about all, all sorts of stuff about Jewish identity and so forth. Well, that sounds really interesting. It's incredible. Like, it, it is a masterpiece, but, uh, wow, I might need a few more viewings. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. Not going to be an easy one to uh, discuss in detail? No, I mean, it's a whole heck of a lot. Like, okay. Y- I, I don't know if you know much about uh, Hasidim or the Hasidic Jew, Jewish no. life or any of that. That's key. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I don't know anything about that. There's an amount of that that you might want to know first. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It It is one that I feel like I'm going to have to come back to a couple times. All right. Next is The Incredible Kung Fu Master. It was a Jackie exploitation. Uh, right. You got Sammo Hung. He is, uh, he, he's sort of our comedic Kung Fu master. He's the incredible Kung Fu master. Like there's, there's other Kung Fu masters in this and they're very strict. And he's like, he's, he's like a local fat guy. He's like, <laughs> I like all food. All food's good as long as it's edible. And that's his Kung Fu philosophy is that, you know, you, you just, take in everything you you look at how people move and you learn about movements and you see what works and what doesn't and if it works hey it's good food it's edible so is this the one where you sent me a clip where the guy says yeah i'll i like anything as long as it's edible and the other guy's like you just ate actual human shit that's not actually what he says oh Uh, that's that was your joke about what he says he says you eat shit (laughs) <laughs> that, okay yeah is that's... is all he says because that that's the joke he's like he's 
done some of his experimental kung fu that he's learned from this other master and he goes back to the other master and he does a bit of a performance with some of that and he's like what the hell is this kung fu shit you don't know the theory behind this you don't know what what is this like a lizard claw or snake's claw that's absurd and so he he gives him the explanation of the like yeah, you know i just eat any good food as long as it's edible it's like you just eat shit that's garbage none of this is real technique i mean he's ejected from the dojo of course <laughs> so okay i misunderstood that clip because i thought they were talking about food somehow no, no they were they were not it, it was it was a metaphor for kung fu okay but uh yeah it's he, he trains the other guy and then there's this really evil guy who comes back to get revenge and uh he just takes out a whole bunch of people and then finally our guy has to use his improvisational dancey slapstick techniques and it's weird because <laughs> like a bunch of people get fucking murdered at, at the end and it's still cartoon slapstick kung fu all the time <laughs> weird weird vibe is it kind of like the previous one in that set all right. Next is A Blade in the Dark, which is uh, Giallo, slasher slash Giallo. Uh, nice. Shout out to just fucking really cool packaging on this. It's a Vinegar Syndrome release and uh, the case, it, it's got like an exterior box that's uh, diagonally cut and you just lift off the corner. Okay. Because uh, it's it's a sequence in the movie where someone gets stabbed through the hand and then like it gets, you know, their hand is pulled down. So it's like cut in half. Oh. And so it separates on the, the cut in the hand. <laughs> so Blade in the Dark. It's, it's like an extremely meta slasher giallo movie. Like the main character is a composer who's composing the score for a horror movie that he doesn't know he's oh. in. <laughs> I see. Cause like we have an opening sequence where we see two kids and there's this thing where like they drop a ball down some steps and there's the one kid who they're making fun of as girly. They make him go down the steps to get the ball. And then the ball is thrown up and it just like leaves blood prints wherever it hits. Okay. <laughs> so this is, ends up actually being a thing that happened in reality. And then the guy who's the composer, who's working on the score, ends up renting the house where it happened, I guess. And then uh, <laughs> there's a killer who's <laughs> slashing people. And uh, it's someone who's related to the real thing, but also someone who's related to the movie. And you know who could it be and i mean it, <laughs> it's so extremely meta that it's the only slasher movie that i've seen that has sequences of the slasher killing someone and then laboriously having to drag the body somewhere that they need it to surprise someone like, <laughs> usually you just see the bodies end up in another place it's the only one i've seen someone like hauling the body somewhere else oh my fun. god i just realized how bad i want to see Michael Myers just hauling that fucking tombstone that he stole. Yeah. Like in real time, we just don't cut away from him or anything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny. Like I, I was really struck by that. I'm like, huh, I've never seen that before. And I do feel like it's <laughs> intentional. It's like, I, this is a thing that the killer obviously has had to do. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, it's, 
it's one of these really ridiculous yellows. It's it's very self-aware, so it's absurd. Uh, just some pretty crazy kills, of course. Like I said, to get the knife in the hand and then the hand cut in half. Not bad. Cool, cool. Now, really ridiculous, like, uh, is it really ridiculous, like, that one where it turns out that he is the killer and the cop who arrested himself no it's not abracadabra levels uh i mean it's it's not that absurd i mean this is an 80s slasher like it's, right. it's still vintage so it works as a slasher and it's mm, relatively okay. straightforward as far as that it's just the plot doesn't make a lot of sense and there's some really absurd things in it and just you know the kills are kind of heightened and ridiculous Sounds like a lot of fun. A lot of these sound like a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, this is a pretty solid bunch. Next is Robot Monster. You ever seen Robot Monster? You ever maybe seen the I... Mystery Science Theater of this? I don't believe so. You got a gorilla with a diving helmet. You'd know that. <laughs> that's that's our main guy. That doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> but I'm looking at the poster and. <laughs> Yeah, in the poster, they show it as, like, a tiny diving helmet with, like, a skull inside. It's a really big diving yeah. helmet, and there's, like, a guy with pantyhose on his face in front, inside. So it's it's gray. It's just like a gray, featureless face inside. So Robot Monster, Roman, is our guy. <laughs> oh, no. He's Roman. He's from the planet Roman. And oh. <laughs> sometimes he has to call up his boss on the planet Roman you know what his boss's name is? Oh, oh, oh! Is it gonna be? Uh, is it gonna be? Roman. It's Roman. Uh, <laughs> everybody's called Roman, I guess. Are you human or are you Roman? And he's trying to get him to do his job. So, this is like the stupid version of Invaders from Mars. It's like okay, the version of Invaders from Mars where someone got hit in the head real bad. Uh. You got a dumb kid, and he is. They're they're at Bronson Canyon. You know, uh, Lost Skeleton of Cadavera. Um, I I think so. Yes, same location. Okay, Bronson Canyon. It's it's where the Batmobile leaves in the original <laughs> Batman. Same cave. I definitely know that. Oh, very I famous. Cave. Know that cave. It's in fucking yeah. everything. Uh, the the kid is out with his mom and sisters and uh they're out for a picnic or something and he's like walking around and there's a couple scientists taking some readings at bronson canyon or bronson cave or whatever the fuck yeah and you know he is really interested in their shit and you know he talks to them and then there's a thing like okay it's time to lay down for your afternoon nap and then he wakes up and it's the post-apocalypse obviously it's him having a dream about the thing right it's it's very obviously the child's dream for the rest of the movie. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's a weird dream. Uh, <laughs> it's, there's some curious psychosexual elements to the dream, I would say. Okay. So obviously we've got Roman from the planet Roman. And uh, <laughs> he he's killed all life on Earth. They're the only ones left. There's the kid. There's his mom. There's his sisters. His older sister and his little sister. And there's the two scientists, except one of them's his dad now. Okay. The older guy. And then there's the younger scientist, and he's dating the sister now. Right, of course. Which, okay. 
I guess I can kind of sure. see that. It's like, okay, he can be my brother and uh, you know, the other guy can be my dad. That'd be great. Get these cool scientists to be in my family. Fine. Uh, the weird thing is that Roman, he realizes that there's like five people that he hasn't killed and his boss is just on his ass about it. <laughs> like hanging out next to a bubble machine. It was a 3D movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, you got to go find those last five people. I'm like, man. There aren't five people. How can that be possible? My work is perfect. I have this calcinator ray. It kills everything. But these people had some sort of uh, super uh, inoculation from everything. So the ray doesn't hurt them. Of course. I mean, he finds out about them. He talks to all of them over the teleradio or whatever. And something about that older sister, mm, that makes him feel funny somehow. Can't really put his finger on what it is but he doesn't want to kill her <laughs> oh no why is this little boy dreaming about an alien and also a scientist just everybody seems to want his older sister i don't know there, there's a strange element to that also later on the bratty little sister shows up and uh, monster fucking strangles her to death <laughs> <laughs> no problem there uh yeah i mean it's it's weird it, it's kind of funny to just watch the you know he's in this fucking terrible gorilla suit and he can't move very fast it's hot out it's you know california it's oh. the canyon and the desert and he's just Ugh. walking around in this outfit and just boom, 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 boom. yeah uh it's it's strange it's a weird thing <laughs> mostly it's just fun for romance saying a bunch of ridiculous stuff i mean it's obviously voice acted uh after like you know post-dubbed because he's in a diving helmet with stuff over his face so it's just <laughs> the guy making really ridiculous gestures and the the voice doesn't match them at all <laughs> i cannot uh, kill the girl or no i i cannot kill the woman i can kill the boy <laughs> <laughs> it kind of makes me think of the the black chef in bermuda triangle yeah how his voice doesn't match what he's saying or doing at all, or his voice doesn't match what he's doing at all. I mean, it doesn't match him at all. It, like, it is so completely not the way it's written, obviously. Like, mm. it's, it's in, in that one, I mean, where it's clearly yeah. not. He, he's supposed to be scared. He's supposed to be scared. But he is not. He's just very dignified. <laughs> uh, next is Stiff Competition. This one's a porno. Uh, okay. <laughs> Vinegar Syndrome, they they recently launched their sister site, Melusine, where they've moved all of their uh, hardcore and uh, X-rated stuff to a separate site for whatever reason. So I figured, like, eh, let's dig in. Watch one of the recent ones that they've released that I hadn't watched yet. So Stiff Competition. Girls. Put your mouth where the money is, is the tagline for this. That's yeah, ew. yeah, ew. <laughs> it feels like it's kind of a Rocky parody because it's like okay. 19. It's uh, 84, it looks like 85. Um, I, I feel like after a couple Rocky movies, but it's so the suck off, the, the big suck off. <laughs> It's a blowjob competition, and they're like oh. in, a, in a boxing ring for some reason with a big audience. And it's <laughs> like the, there's this this guy who's with this lady, and they go to this thing that's supposed to be their date. 
and they go and it's a like a back alley blowjob competition and <laughs> the 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 girl who's doing the competition that everybody's betting on she gets mad because someone heckles her and she walks out so the the lady who was on the date takes her place and she's just a natural so they put her in training and she becomes like the new like the next great uh, <laughs> i mean what i she she excels in the business she becomes like uh she's going to be the top new competition against the reigning champion in the suck off I just love that it's called a suck-off. I mean, it ends up being televised. It's uh, like they're reporting <laughs> it on like the front page of the newspaper. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, like, uh, there's not a lot to it other than that. It's just, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, couldn't, okay. I couldn't say that I really enjoyed this one that much. It, it's not as fun as an exploitation film. And it's just... I mean, it's very mouth focused. You're you're spending a lot of time looking at people's mouths, either during sex or otherwise. And I don't know. It's just <laughs> that's I don't what know you're how into. I feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about it. Uh, <laughs> there's there's very little plot to speak of. All right. <laughs> uh, next is Delirio Caldo, aka Delirium, the Renato Pulselli version. So many movies Ooh. called Delirium. Another one. This one is a Giallo. Cool. And it's it's a strange one. It's very horny, as we've seen from Pulselli. He's his movies are horny. <laughs> and like the opening scene, we established that we've got this doctor who's a sex murderer you know, we see him strangle this hitchhiker in the opening sequence so we know he is a killer but he's not the only killer Ooh. or at least he's not the only killer uh over the course of the film because like the police catch up with him pretty quickly there's this guy who watches him pick up the hitchhiker and immediately goes to the police and is able to clearly identify him but this guy's also really well known to the police, the doctor. He's helped them lots. He's like a forensic pathologist. Oh, okay. So they're like, I mean, really? I mean, this guy's pretty trustworthy. I, I feel like it's, we'll, we'll, we'll see. There could have, and, and like he plays it off that, yeah, I gave her a ride, but I took her to the place. You know, I, I took her to a different nightclub and dropped her off. I don't know what happened to her after that. Of course, yeah. But the doc sure. the doctor is like he he wants to get caught too, but he can't bring himself to confess or turn himself in. He feels that to actually be caught, he needs to engineer himself being caught red handed, so that there's no way he can weasel out of it. Okay. <laughs> now meanwhile, his home life is pretty fucking weird. All right. Because he's a sex murderer and he's like just really unhinged, like he's perpetually in berserker mode. Okay. Uh, he's never had sex with his wife. Oh, so you gotta do that, <laughs> or at least they expect you to. Yeah, and she's not okay. She's like the the sexual energy in the house is through the fucking roof because also their maid is really horny and like when they kiss, she's like 
peeping on them and masturbating. <laughs> okay. So it's a whole other thing. Also, his niece lives there, and she's pretty wild too. Uh, the wife is having sex dreams about all of them having BDSM orgies. <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, he, she is spying on him because she knows something is weird about him. Obviously, there's something fucked up about him. I mean, he has a sex dungeon that she's pretty aware of. Uh, he has his chest full of trophies and anyway the police finally they pick him up and he engineers this thing where he says he had a psychic vision and he's been doing all this astrology charts and he knows the next killing is definitely going to happen at this place at this time so you guys just need to be there and it's going to take place and we'll we'll catch the guy okay <laughs> so he's planning to publicly attack someone so he can get caught and then during the while he's going after like there there's this policewoman who is set up as a decoy and he's like talking to her but he knows her from before so she's not afraid of him and okay. someone else gets murdered nearby uh oh just like nearby and the police don't catch them and the guy runs away but there's this shifty uh <laughs> valet from the nightclub that he supposedly dropped the girl off of that uh, that he didn't drop her off that he took her and murdered her so then this guy becomes the prime suspect and this guy just keeps showing up at the wrong places and it's like what's this guy's <laughs> deal i'm trying to turn myself in and he keeps turning up and muddying the waters <laughs> uh yeah i mean it it takes some weird twists it's very heightened like the the doctor the wife the the maid everybody is so horny that it's like they are <laughs> in another dimension of reality they're like everything's so big uh visually really wild lots of color and filters and stuff they're like so horny they're gonna have to be hospitalized i mean it seems like they're trending that direction mm. next we've got dolls uh Stu creepy doll movie creepy doll movie you know Stuart gordon uh the name rings a bell directed a reanimator oh, okay reanimator is probably his best known one he did both reanimator three reanimator films i think also from beyond really good one anyway this is one of his uh it's uh th there's this house it's sort of a witch house the, there's this old couple who live there and they have all these dolls just packed with dolls uh, oh no but they're living dolls oh no i'm like i think maybe they're animated by witchcraft and they're maybe a lot of them are filled with the souls of their victims i guess ultimately uh but a bunch of people just end up trapped there and it seems like a ridiculous coincidence until you realize that they intentionally trap people there and that's the point right yeah so there's this girl this little girl and her deadbeat dad and her awful stepmother and he like she's being taken care of him for the summer she mostly stays with her mom and the dad obviously just doesn't want her around and it's just a pain in the ass to everybody the stepmother is just horrible so th these people are obviously waiting to become victims right uh, and then there's also this dude who had picked up these two British punk hitchhiker ladies 
who are both dressed like early Madonna. <laughs> and we we learn gradually that their intent in getting picked up by him is they want to rob him and they're they try to rob the house later on which obviously doesn't go well with the murder dolls who live there right yeah uh and the the dude who gave them a ride he's like this childlike guy he's like an overgrown man child who really likes toys and he he kind of sees eye to eye with the kid but nobody else hmm. so it's for me it's the most interesting sort of satirical element of this is that we finally see why adults never are allowed to believe kids in these movies because oh why is... he's the guy who believes the kid it doesn't work out great <laughs> oh i see think about it he's in this house and the kid has been making up these stories the kid has been seeing stuff that nobody else is seeing so right. he doesn't want to believe her but ultimately you know he's he's willing to listen and she takes him and she shows him what's happening. And he realized that, yes, the dolls are killing people. And she thinks they're elves. Uh, okay. So by being on her side and uh, agreeing with her unbelievable version of events to everybody else, immediately they're like, why are you hanging out with my daughter? Are you a pedophile? Are you a pervert? <laughs> and they think he's the guy who's doing all of it. <laughs> <laughs> he becomes oh, the no. prime suspect because uh, why oh. would you be hanging out with this child and saying all this stuff why would you be making up these stories and uh, you're covered in blood where did that blood come from dude <laughs> no no you don't get it she's gonna tell me how to beat the kaiju yeah uh so yeah i mean uh, and they're slowly being killed off by murder dolls all over the place uh of course, yeah. You know, he's able to uh, stay alive because he respects dolls. He likes toys. <laughs> uh, and last up is foes. I sent you one clip from this. Just that one really eerie image that's also on the poster. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a very interesting UFO movie from the late 70s. when they didn't really do ufo movies it wasn't a big thing in the 70s it was a 50s thing it kind of fell out of fashion so it's like they're on the channel islands i think uh it's it's this remote island and there's two people who live there okay it's like a husband and wife i think they're the lighthouse keepers okay and Man, I've always wanted to do that job, but I have no idea what's actually involved it's a lot of living in a remote place I know, and I want to, but... <laughs> so, uh, a UFO shows up. Just a, you know, classic mirror co mirrored dish UFO. And it's just hanging right. around. Just following them around the island. And they're like, this is fucked up. This is kind of troubling. I don't know what this thing's mm -hmm. doing. And uh, they're a little concerned. And then we uh, cut forward later to the, these two divers we've been seeing getting some samples, some... Uh, some scientists taking some scuba diving samples of uh, the 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 minerals under this island or whatever. And they they right. come up on the island and they find uh, the wife. She's badly burned, very very badly burned. Okay, she's got electrical burns all over herself. The other guy nowhere to be found. Ooh, and uh, yeah, they soon the the ship shows up again and it's just kind of menacing. Occasionally, we do see aliens. They're very abstract. They're just sort of beams of light, sort of swirling beams of light. 
Uh, oh, I like that. Yeah, it's it's very eerie. It's very elliptical. There's not a lot of clear resolution to it. It's told sort of out of order. Uh, it's just, yeah, evil aliens, and we don't really know what the purpose is or what they're trying to do. Uh, there's two versions of it. I watched the director's cut, which is like 70-some minutes. The theatrical cut adds like 15 minutes of soldiers talking about things <laughs> people mm. planning to do something about it uh which i don't recommend <laughs> okay <laughs> so those are our 11 picks what do you figure for a main feature next week or second feature rather well yeah um these all sound these almost all sound really good yeah other than but... stiff competition it's pretty stiff competition Mm. <laughs> uh, but I think I think telling me that War of the Worlds is better than Gollum is I think you've sold me. I mean, if you want to do two, it could pair with any of our other alien movies. <laughs> Robot Monster, Invaders from Mars, Foes—they'd all pair well. Uh, let's do let's do Foes then. All right, let's do. War of the Worlds and Foes. A couple evil alien movies. Foes, I mean, it's beautiful and fascinating, and I think you'll enjoy it. But there's not going to be a lot to talk about, so it'll be very easy to fit in. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, so we have just a handful of additions to the main stacks as well. All right. Uh, so the next one in that uh, Piotr Sukun box is Obi Oba, uh, also known as The End of Civilization. This one's a post-apocalyptic one. Uh, it's, you know, after the Holocaust, nuclear war destroyed pretty much everything. We're just kind of following this guy who's a functionary within the bunker. You know, it's it's fallout, but it's just right. him just waiting for someone to hopefully come save them as things are just gradually deteriorating in the bunker. Okay. Uh, next is the Saragossa Manuscript. This is another one by Wojciech Haas, the same guy who directed uh, the uh, the Hourglass Sanatorium. Okay. This one sounds similar. Dreamy. Mm. Uh, experimental. Not in order. Uh, three hours long. It's also about the Napoleonic Wars. <laughs> During the Napoleonic Wars, a Spanish officer and an opposing officer find a book written by the former's grandfather. Yeah, All right. except it's like, it's taking place through memories and the book itself and uh, like very uh, layers of narrative, you know? Okay. Uh, next, Two Wondrous Tigers is the next one in the Jackie Exploitation set. Uh, right. You got uh, this this dude coming back to China from America, and he meets this guy named Tiger, and they become buds. So they become two tigers, I guess. Uh, there's this local boss who's been kidnapped, so they're gonna. Or uh, no, the, this girl is kidnapped by a local boss, and they're gonna have to go rescue her. So it's like a romantic buddy kung fu movie okay cool. next is falcon lake which is a quite recent movie there's uh this 
shy teen who goes on summer vacation and there's this older girl he has a crush on who might be a ghost. Oh. And last edition is Cellar Dweller, which is a John Carl Buechler film. He's the guy who did the effects work on dolls. This is the same uh, uh, Enter the Video Store box from Arrow as dolls. Okay. Uh, cool. I've seen this one before. It's so, so. There's this guy. He's a 50s comic book cartoon horror artist. And... Uh, he he gets killed by his cartoons and then there's like an evil monster trapped in the basement that's like one of the cartoons and it's Ooh. the cellar dweller okay uh and you know people move into the place and it, it kills them I, i've seen it before i don't recall it being great <laughs> <laughs> it's a I, I had it already in like a Shout Factory double feature, but it's like, yeah, hey, I wanted the other stuff in the set, so whatever. Cool. So what do you figure for our main feature next week? Well, I just clicked on a random one, the Milky Way, because it's, you know, it's a lot of arrows and stuff. And it stood out on the poster. You were talking about this last and week. We did. And I forgot and then remembered when I looked at the description. It's Luis Buñuel. Mm-hmm. About how they hitchhike, beg for food, and face the Christian dogmas and heresies from different ages. Uh, listening to Estes Perkle talk about the communism hellfire and brimstone, kind of got me amped up for what, at least I think I'm amped up for this movie. <laughs> I don't know if I am, but we're going to find out because I want to watch it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it stars uh, Paul Francoeur, who was in our main feature this week. Uh, Ooh, he he cool. was Fredo. Uh, oh right, right. Uh, Fredo is one of our main pilgrims in this movie. Cool. Uh, and yeah, I have seen this one before. It's very funny. It's very dark. Uh, you know, it's a satire. All right. Uh, as yeah. Buñuel tends to be. Cool. Oh yeah, that's right. He, and he was the exterminating angels guy, right? The exterminating angel. Yeah, that is also him. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. I definitely want to do this one then. All right, so next week then, The Milky Way, as well as The War of the Worlds, Next Century, and Foes. Should be fun. Some some religion and some aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, this should be good. Uh, do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Yeah, next week, will you come? Will you, Will, you Will, you Will you come? I'm trying to think of any good ones like uh so next week where do we cover those? Will you come? Will you come by UFO?